Welcome to Films from the Phantom Zone, your podcast about failed and forgotten comic book movies, where we talk about a forgotten superhero movie and decide, does this belong in the Phantom Zone, or out and about for everyone to rewatch and remember fondly. My name is Arnaldo, I'm your host, and I'm joined, as always, by... Berto, co-host. Berto, what movie are we watching today? <laughs> Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, which came out in 2010. 2010, Edgar Wright... Edgar Wright, who uh, great filmmaker, was going to make an Ant Man movie. He did. He started to at he, least. It was he finished by Peyton Reed. Pretty much did an Ant Man movie. I think yeah. they. Uh, I think they just marvelled it up. Yeah. <laughs> because what we were saying when we were talking about our Black Widow reviews, everything needs to kind of fit in the same universe. And if Edgar Wright were to do what he did in this movie to Ant Man, no, that wouldn't belong in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Scott Pilgrim versus the world, based on the comic book Scott Pilgrim vs. and Eternal Sadness or something like that. And then the second series is, is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Or second issue. Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life. Precious Little Life, sorry. <laughs> and then the second series is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah. And I think this adapts both of those stories. So yeah, we just did Dragon Ball Evolution. Yes. Uh, we reviewed Black Widow before that. And then before that, we did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1, 2, 3, and TMNT. Guys, if any of that sounds interesting to you, check it out. But that brought us to Scott Pilgrim. Usually we find some sort of like jumping off point, but I think this time it was just kind of like, let's just do something random, right? Yeah, like a one off type deal. And this is as random as it gets. Yeah. This movie. In order for it to fit our rules, I, I think they were looking forward to possibly making sequels. Well, this this movie also lost a lot of money. Right, but it was a big box office disaster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it lost a lot of money, although being very well received by critics, audiences. It's a cult classic now. Yes. People have put this on a lot of top 10 lists for 2010. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you don't need us to tell you this is a good movie. Yeah, it's good. It's funny. It's It's also like cynical and earnest at the same time. It strikes yeah. you a very weird balance yeah. there. It would be really nice if, who knows, maybe one day they decide, hey, we can maybe make a sequel to this. I would have loved to have gotten a sequel to this. Yeah. And uh, there are like five more Scott Pilgrim comics that go on after this. Yeah. They, so they could have adapted a few more that things. That would have been super fun. Yeah. Even if they were do, to do it more recent on the cheap, you know? Anyway. And before we move on, this movie is available on Netflix. It is just there, which is great. Yeah. Netflix No need to rent America. anything. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, there are time codes in the description. We're going to do our initial expectations, go through the plot, analyze the movie to the best of our ability before we jump into keep or cancel, where we talk about the stars in the movie and we decide if we're going to keep them or cancel them. This week, it's going to be another lightning round, I think, because there's like 20 names I want to go through. There's a lot of people it's a in this movie. Big one. <laughs> this is the movie, by the way, that every time I see like an actor... And I go through their IMDb. It just always has Scott Pilgrim on it. And I'm like, they were in Scott Pilgrim? And I saw Scott Pilgrim. This is not the first time I've seen this movie. And yet, every time, I'm constantly surprised that somebody I know now, somebody very famous today, was in that movie. And yeah. I just didn't notice because they just weren't as popular back then. And there's a few uh, Marvel people in this movie. There's a lot of superheroes in this, actually. Yeah. We have a Superman. We got a Captain America. We got a couple. Yeah. We got a Captain Marvel. Yeah. And then last but not least, before we go right into it, we are live streaming this on Twitch. We record all these episodes live on Twitch. So guys, if you want to be a part of this, if you want to hang out, chill, contribute, ask us questions, 
listen to us mess up. Tell me about energy drinks that I left at my house. Yeah, sure. If you have that kind of incredible insight, um, <laughs> that's where you go to do it. Uh, Twitch.tv slash films from PZ. Yeah. So our newest mini segment, by the way, is shit we missed in the last episode. So if ever I make we make some glaring mistakes, this is where we kind of go back and go, hey, we're so sorry about that. Yeah, sorry I uh, forgot who um, Conan O'Brien was that one time. Yeah, that was before we were doing this. He thought Conan O'Brien was a short man. That was balding. <laughs> that was balding. I don't know why I thought that because I know who Conan O'Brien is. And he's, we looked it up, he's like 6'4", 6'5", yeah, or something. I didn't know he was that tall, though. He's an enormous man. <laughs> And he's so, got a very healthy head of hair. Yes. So specifically recently, number one, it was several episodes ago, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, when we were doing Keeper Cancel on Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman. Oh, yeah. That entire thing, I mixed up the two of them. <laughs> the entire time. We talked about them for like 10 minutes, and I, w- I just called the wrong one the wrong name. So just the reverse the names. Time. For most of it, you can just reverse the names, and you're good. I, I mentioned an interview on a podcast that I was listening to, and I linked it. And I said it was a podcast interview with Peter Laird. That was Kevin Eastman. <laughs> However, later on, when I said that Kevin Eastman sold his share to Peter Laird, that was correct. I, I fixed it by that point subconsciously. Okay. And that Peter Laird stayed as kind of a creative uh, like consultant. consultant for everything. Whereas Kevin Eastman just recently came back, not recently, 2014 or so, came back to the comic book working with the IDW comic. Okay. So he's been writing for them specifically. And he's the one that wanted the turtles to stay like kind of dark and gritty and out of the two, yes. A bit more adult. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And then we mentioned on TMNT, uh, I said Nolan North has played Batman and a bunch of stuff. I confused him with someone else. Nolan North has been in a lot of Batman stuff playing Penguin. And like sometimes a Robin, more of the gruffy sounding characters. Okay. Because he's the gruffy sounding guy. Right. Yeah. Because he played Raphael in that movie. Okay. So that's it for our horrible mess ups. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on. Initial expectations for Scott Pilgrim, Berto, what what are yours? The first time I saw this was actually on my seventeenth birthday, because that's when this movie came out. And that's I pretty cool. Yeah. I was sort of excited for it. I just thought it looked like a just a cool outlandish movie. Like obviously in the trailer you saw like some of the like the video game references and yeah. stuff like that. So I ended up really liking it a lot. I thought it was just a really fun movie. Watching it now, I'm catching a few more things. Like the movie's a little bit deeper than I originally thought. Mm-hmm. So it was so. It, it was nice to catch a few more of those themes this time around. Yeah. But like going into it this time, I was expecting to pretty much enjoy the movie again like I did in the past. Yeah, you might be more recent on it. When was the last time you saw it? A few years ago. Oh, okay. So, because yeah. for me, I haven't seen this movie in a while. I think I saw it one time. But again, it was this is the movie where I saw it, and yet I seem to have forgotten that all these people were in the movie <laughs> until way after it's pointed out to me. Like I would have been like, wait, Chris Evans is in this? Like Aubrey Plaza? Ain't no way Brie Larson is in this and I didn't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> just because they weren't household names back then. No, this was like before Chris Evans. Like, I think when I first saw this movie, I'm like, hey, it's the Human Torch. Yeah. But that was about it. Because this was before Captain America. This was before. I would have probably caught Brennan Ralph too. But I forgot. They have such minor roles because there's like an yeah, ensemble the, here. You know? Yeah, they're in the movie like briefly. But yeah. like they're there and 
some of them kind of steal the scenes that they're in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So my expectations were, like, I remember liking this movie. I didn't remember loving it. I just remember thinking, oh, this is interesting and it's good and it's Edgar Wright and blah, blah, blah. But, like, every time I revisit other Edgar Wright things or I hear a discussion online and it always comes back to Scott Pilgrim. And I'm like, oh, I kind of want to, like, watch it again because maybe (laughs) there's more in there that I have forgotten about. This movie is super dense with a lot of stuff. So, like, it, it really does... Not required, but like it helps to have multiple viewings. Yeah, definitely. So plot, right? The universal thing in 16-bit. Yeah, great. which is really cool. That was a fun little Oh, that was intro. fantastic. And then it says on the screen, not so long ago in the mysterious land of Toronto, Canada, Scott Pilgrim was dating a high schooler. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Pilgrim, 22 years old, is criticized by his bandmates for dating a high schooler, a Chinese girl named Knives Chow. His band, the Sex Bob-Oms... Rehearse with comic motion lines surrounding them. And this is kind of like the opening credits. There, opening there's, scenes. There's actually there's, a lot that happens. There's a lot. And this establishes the surreal nature of the film. Yeah. Right, of this universe that you're saying. It is part comic book, part video game, part real life. Yeah. It's not to be taken seriously. No. At not all. At all. Uh, there's some very clever editing that we're going to talk about a little bit later. The first thing I noticed was the Zelda music that they put like right, right at the beginning. Yeah. I read a little bit about how they had to like convince Nintendo because Nintendo does not just let anyone license their shit. No, they not hold everything. Never. They hold everything very close and dearly to them just because they, you know, their properties are, are precious to them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the reason and why we have some of seen... the few times that they have licensed it out, it's usually been a disaster. See uh, the Super Mario Super Brothers Mario movie. movies. Yeah. Oof. Or some of those uh, older cartoons. I, I think those were fine, though. Like the Super Mario cartoons and the, the cartoons Zelda cartoons. The cartoons are okay, yeah. I remember watching those when I was a the kid. The movie, the Super Mario Brothers oh, movie, yeah. bad. It's bad stuff. Lovably bad, though. So, apparently, uh, Edgar Wright had to write, like, a letter to Nintendo about how, like, this is this movie is kind of like a love letter to video games. And because the Zelda music for our generation is like a lullaby, like, yeah. it's something that everybody knows Yep. It's going to work in that it's way. instantly recognizable. Yeah, and I guess they let him. Yeah, because it's it, used a couple of times in this movie. Yeah, but it's ra- well, my point is it's rare to see something like that, like Zelda music. Yep. The other thing, though, that he got away with is calling the band Sex Bob-Oms because a Bob-Omb is an a, enemy in Mario. In Mario. The little, the little bombs. Yeah, those are the little bummy guys that blow up. They're Bob-Obs. Yeah. bob Is that what the band's called in the comic book? It's, is that comic accurate? I don't Oh, know. maybe. It might be. It might be. So maybe that's why they did it. Yeah. But I, it's almost surprising that Nintendo was like, listen. <laughs> Sex bob You can't do that. If you want the Zelda music, you can't call them that. And they got both. So. Yeah. But like like you were saying, like you immediately get like the tone of this movie. You get the video game aspect of it. You get the comic book aspect of it. And you get the music aspect of it where it's like yeah, this garage band, basically. Well, and it also, it's what we've said before, for suspension of disbelief to work. You need to introduce these elements right, right up top, like yeah. immediately. There's a bunch of uh, what are called motion lines, which mm-hmm. are in comics. You draw like random lines around characters to make it look like they're moving or they're like vibrating or yeah. they're being loud or something like that. And when they're playing, they've got little like little lightning bolts around them, you know, and they're yeah. and they're very hand drawn. This is surrealism. Yeah. This is the best surrealism ever. No, and the there's way. like a bunch of little like comic book effects. Like they'll hit like a light switch and you'll see like click, 
Yeah, like right a little there. onomatopoeia right yeah. on the screen. Exactly. And, uh, sometimes when Scott's like playing the bass, you see like the D D D D D D D D. Yeah. Even though he was playing different notes, I noticed yeah. that. And I was like, come on, switch it to like an A or B or whatever. <laughs> There's a really good shot where they start playing the music. They're in a really small room where they rehearse and then like it expands. It's like <laughs> yeah. a, it, it's supposed to look like a camera trick, but it's like a CGI thing. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know how they did it. I know exactly. A lot, there's a lot about. of good things like that. Something I thought was really funny, too, is Ellen Wong, the actor who plays Knives, the girl, she's actually two years older than Michael Sarah. <laughs> well, Michael Sarah just looks like a child. No, but the other way around. <laughs> I know. but like, like, she, He's supposed to look older than her in this. Right. And he does, just because he, of the way they dress him of, up. Yeah. But he's actually younger than her. Also, she's like, she looks young. She's Chinese. <laughs> she, she looks younger than her age. I st- I don't think Michael Sarah looks. I, mean, I guess he looks like he's in his twenties. He looks no. He looks like he's he's supposed to be twenty two. I buy it. Ellen's supposed to be seventeen. Seventeen. If you're in high school, she would have been like 17. in her mid twenties. But she honestly, she looks it. It's just kind yeah. of funny. Um, and a lot of it is like the way also they're dressed, her height. Yeah, she's yeah, short. Yeah. Yeah. She's also the same age as Anna Kendrick. Was it, is Anna Kendrick supposed to be older or younger than Michael Sarah's character? Younger sister. But then later in the movie, she calls him her younger brother. Which is, is she just kidding? Because she's giving him advice. I guess because when they introduce her and they show like the little words, it says older, story, right? I think it says young. It says younger sister, like or, nineteen yeah, yeah, years yeah. old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She also looks kind of young, but she's also like older than Michael Sarah. <laughs> Scott goes home to his studio apartment where he has to share everything with his gay roommate Wallace, played by Macaulay Culkin's little brother. Wait, actually. Yeah, you can't tell. They look I, identical. I They do, but I didn't know they were related. That's Macaulay Culkin's oh, brother. Oh, shit. Okay. He play, he's the guy who plays, uh, I think his name is Fuller. He's the younger brother in Home Alone. Like the youngest brother in Home Alone. Like the, the child? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he, the, like almost baby? No, oh. no, no. He's he's only like two years younger. Wait, was he the one that... um? He's the one that looks like Macaulay Culkin. Okay. In uh, Next time you see... Around Christmas time when you watch Home Alone. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch Home Alone on Christmas time. So Yeah. Okay, so what was I saying? Oh, Wallace played by Macaulay Culkin's little brother, uh, who immediately tells Scott's sister he's dating a 17-year-old. <laughs> Scott meets with Knives to play DDR at an arcade and go to a record store. He has a prophetic dream of meeting a beautiful punker in red hair who he sees the next day at the library and then later at a party. He interrogates Aubrey Plaza, who works everywhere, <laughs> who she is, and learns her name is Ramona Flowers, just moved in from New York, and works for Amazon. There's a lot of uh, people at this party who you've probably seen like other shows or movies and stuff, just like the people that he Again, talks to. Again, this whole movie is filled yeah. with like, very now famous Like actors. you see him like, I know that guy. The guy from, he's a new girl. Oh, is he the one that's like too nice? Yeah, in New Girl. Yeah. He's just like a random party goer in this movie. And, yep. then and he um, him later at the club. He's in The Office, too. He plays uh, one of the IT guys in The Office. Were we thinking about the same guy? Yeah. With he the did. glasses? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tall? Yep. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. In this movie, he like knows everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aubrey Plaza is great in this, too. She just happens to, like again, know everybody. And then the running gag is whenever they go to a place, Aubrey Plaza's working there. And she's always yelling at Scott. Like, she hates Scott, and we don't really know why. She's always cursing at him, and like Fuck a censor box like <laughs> actually comes up over her mouth and stuff while she's talking. Right, because if there's too many fucks, and it'll be rated R. Yeah. So, but she's clearly saying it. It's so funny. <laughs> it makes you feel so much like you're in high school, or not even high school, like the years in between high school and like like college age or whatever, where like you're like early college age, like yeah, freshman. Like, it, it seems like such a big deal that like. Oh, he's dating a 17-year-old. He's dating a high schooler or a high schooler. And, like, everybody's making fun of him for it. Yeah. There's the bit where he, where they're making fun of him. And they make fun of the fact that, like, she's Asian. 
I think they're implying that he's like a little weeb, right? Yeah. But he, and then he like kind of disappointing. He's like, and she goes to a Catholic school. Uh, and then his sister's the like uniform. with the uniform and everything. He's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's almost like a stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's like a little animaker, basically. <laughs> and then Ramona Flowers is played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Who you've also probably seen in multiple she's in things. a bunch of stuff, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Scott's sister, that's Anna Kendrick, tells him he needs to break up with Knives after learning from Wallace immediately again that he's in love with Ramona despite barely meeting her. That was a fun little bit where he's like, where'd you hear that? And she's like, Wallace. And he looks over and he's passed down. He's like, he's not even conscious. But he, his phone was open. He had just <laughs> yeah. texted it. He's like, how do you do that? Now unenthused with their relationship, he goes out with Knives but fails to break up with her. Sex Bob-omb gets an invite to a battle of the bands and Knives is now their number one fan. So, like, during this bit, like, there's a lot of, like, quick cuts of, like, Scott not even, like, realizing time is passing, it seems like. And I thought that was, like, super interesting. Because at first it just seems like kind of weird cuts. Like, oh, we're just cutting to the next scene. But it seems like Scott's just, like, Wallace would be like, hey, don't you have to, like, pick up your girlfriend or something? He's like, no, it's, like, 6.30 in the morning. And he opens the door and and it's, like, afternoon. super light out. Yeah. This is Edgar Wright, though. And Edgar Wright is such a... Like, he's such a brilliant filmmaker, and part of it is how he does his edits, like, where the cuts are in in connecting from scene to scene. Mm -hmm. And he does this to varying degrees, because he'll do this, and he... I mean, we weren't going to talk about Edgar Wright, but he has several films. Some of his films are more, quote-unquote, Edgar Wright than others. Shaun of the Dead. There's the whole Cornetto trilogy, which are... like Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz and at World... Not at World's End, because that's Paris. That's Paris of the Caribbean. I think it's just called World's End. It might just be World's End. I yeah. have not seen that one. It's it's just as good as the other two. Okay. I mean, not as good as the other two, actually. I've only seen it once. And then okay. Baby Driver. I haven't seen Baby Driver. And oh, I, my God. And I want to. So good. But Baby Driver is an interesting one to compare it to because Baby Driver is like the most grounded of any of his films. Okay. Where all the other ones are kind of unrealistic. Right. And this one is completely surrealism. The most like fantastical one. It, this goes completely into surrealism. Which is like Salvador Dali, where like, I mean, a surrealist film is one where like everything is dreamlike. Things mm-hmm. happen that they don't make sense. You know, yeah. walls change, objects come out of nowhere, day, night, radical things, right? Yeah. This is completely in that kind of genre because you, you have even things like, like you said, quick cuts where the cut is happening, but the scene hasn't changed. So, yeah. for example, you have two people walking in, in one setting. They're having a conversation cut to a different location and they're still having the same conversation the same conversation yeah. like, they didn't miss a beat no you know and it's saying? like it's a little strange but i kind of like it so it's definitely a way of storytelling because it's for me it's like editing is always going to do that you're always you know this is what filmmaking is you're telling a story and you're cutting out the boring stuff mm-hmm. right you're only telling the interesting things you're not going to actually show you know the the mundane and the not uninteresting and the things that don't fit within the plot and yada yada unless it's electra Right. But this film in particular, and Edgar Wright in, in, in particular, he takes that a step beyond because he's usually he's using the editing as another form of storytelling, like another element to kind of, you know, inform the viewer or tell his story. And in this, he gets fucking wacky as hell. Right. <laughs> Little things like I'm trying to think of what edits there is so far that we've already discussed. Oh, in the fucking party. He oh. it just cuts from him talking to person to person to person to person, and that does seem like a super cut scene that you know you would see. But like, there's a part later on where um 
he talks to Ramona and then he kind of like strikes out because he's so awkward and weird. And then after that, he goes like on screen, it says, and then he just stalks her the rest of the night. Yep. And you and see it, him like following her. And it just it's cuts like cuts of him just like right behind somebody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's an example, I guess. Yeah. Scott goes to the bathroom. Here's the great fairy music playing as he walks into another dream. He wakes up to Ramona at his door delivering his Amazon package and asks her out. He had ordered an Amazon package. Earlier. And then immediately sat at the door. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a funny joke today because Amazon will deliver the same day today. Yeah. Maybe not 11 years ago. But they meet that night at a park, go back to Ramona's place and kiss with pink hearts surrounding them. He sleeps over, but Ramona decides to not have sex with him. So they just have like a, a nice date and then... I just want to like <laughs> remind everyone that this is Michael Sarah, and he's basically playing every character he's ever played. He's very yeah. typecasted, so <laughs> very awkward, very awkward. It's George Michael from Arrested Development. It's ex- that's exactly the same character. <laughs> he's really only ever thinking with his dick, you know, because he's such a he's just always been like kind of the reject, mm-hmm. kind of like the awkward one. If he has a chance to like hang out with a girl, it doesn't matter if he likes her. Like he's just excited. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like Anne from from Arrested Development where they're like, her? Anne, really? Her? <laughs> uh, who's in this movie? She is in this way. movie. So He punches her in the boob. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the part where he goes to the bathroom, this is a prime example. Because he goes into the bathroom, a pee meter comes up like a video yep. game, like right over his shoulder. He pees, and the pee lasts for like a, one second. And he like barely washes his hand. He just wets his hands and walks, walks out. out. So it's funny because it's, it's kind of done for a laugh. But at the same time, this is Edgar Wright doing his stuff, right? Yeah. Do you need to show him peeing for a full 22 seconds or however long it takes no. to pee? It's almost like that scene in the bathroom only exists to further establish kind of the surrealist setting that he's creating here. Where like he went to pee. Yeah, it was a second. Who cares? That's not <laughs> the important part of the story. I'm showing you that I'm breaking reality because we're going to go <laughs> AWOL. In a couple of minutes, right? And he just like, like wets his get... hands in the sink and wipes it on his yeah, pants. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's going to go crazy from here on in. So you need to already buy into this premise yeah. that what you're seeing is like a video game. It's like a comic yeah. book. It's not real, right? And then the great fairy music was fantastic because it starts playing when he's in the bathroom. But that already gives you the connotations of like what the great fairy fountain music is in Zelda, yeah. right? When you enter like the great fairy's fountain, she's the fairy that either unlocks abilities and also fills up your heart containers. <laughs> um, it's a very kind of like serene, mystical location. Yeah. It's not the bathroom. No, not at all. <laughs> so that already kind of projects what's about to happen next because you're just like, why is this music playing? There's no quote unquote great fairy here. But then he walks out of the bathroom into this dream sequence where it's kind of like white and fog and yeah. he's having this dream and like he sees Ramona flowers again. And he's like, I don't know if it's the first dream or the second one where he goes like, um, like, is this real? And she's like, no, you're just having some idiotic dream. <laughs> He's like, does that mean we can make out? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Oh, we forgot the part where he, uh, he gets the email. Through. Yeah. I that he just like, he just kind of skims over it, but this email is actually kind of foreshadowing what's about to happen. And that also <laughs> kind of is breaking through like the logic of this film where he hasn't started dating Ramonia. He gets the email before that. Yeah. And it's an email from the first Matthew evil, Patel. Matthew Patel, the first evil ex yeah, like, who he has Dear to fight. Scott, I understand that we're supposed to fight, blah, 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 blah. And then you see like the words on the screen says like duel to the death. And he's just he's like, like, this is boring. Boring deletes it. <laughs> 
this takes place in Toronto, he said, and it's like, apparently it's, it's April. <laughs> but, but it's like, that's, it's that's, snowing it's like snowing. crazy. That's the joke, that yeah. it's like always cold there. And she delivers her packages on roller skates. Yeah. And then when she skates, she's so hot that she melts the ice as she skates. <laughs> it's such a neat little detail, right? Yeah. At the Battle of the Bands, Ramona arrives and is introduced to Scott's sister and Wallace. When Knives arrives and kisses Scott in front of Ramona. Scott has... Remember, they're still technically dating. Yeah. <laughs> Scott has seemingly forgotten about Knives since his infatuation with Ramona began. Everyone stares at the awkward scenario, except for Wallace, who's staring at Stacy's boyfriend, Jimmy. Oh, that's her name, Stacy. That part is actually really funny <laughs> because funny. everybody turns to Scott to like look at him, and it's almost like a... Like one of those scenes where it's like it zooms in on them and they're like, Shh. yeah, and there's more motion lines too. Yeah. Like they're staring, and then it it goes to Wallace and he just turns and looks at Jimmy. He's not looking at all. He doesn't care. <laughs> the running gag here is that Wallace is like an ultimate like gay player. Yeah, and he just gets whatever guy he wants. He sleeps with like five guys throughout this film. <laughs> They share a bed, too. Like, they share everything. Wallace and Scott. Yo, it goes, like, just... the little run-through of his apartment. Yeah, and, yeah, like, that's a fun bit. Everything is Wallace's except for, like, two things. Yeah. It's just a mattress on the floor. And so there's multiple parts in the movie where, like, Scott gets up from bed, and then Wallace gets up, and then just some other guy gets up next to Wallace. <laughs> yeah. It's just... It's actually... It is pretty funny. It's fucking hilarious. Just... At and, the end... And they just treat it as normal. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, oh, it's just Wallace or whatever. At the end, there's another guy, too. Because <laughs> yeah. they've done it so many times that, like, it just one up the gag by putting a third guy getting up. Or, I guess, a fourth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sex Bob-omb starts playing, but are interrupted by Matthew Patel, who crashes into the ceiling and introduces himself as Ramona's evil ex. The two engage in an epic Tekken-style fight, and Ramona explains their relationship to a cutaway animation from the comic. She also reveals that he has mystical powers. He <laughs> levitates, sings a Bollywood-style song with his demon hipster chicks, during which Scott throws a symbol at him and he explodes into quarters, which Scott is excited to collect. <laughs> So this whole sequence is actually very funny. <laughs> Again, if you haven't bought into this premise yet, then at this point the movie's lost you. Oh, it's, yeah. it's moved on beyond you because it gets insane here at, in like the best fucking yeah. way. Because the scene like starts off as just a regular like battle of the bands type deal. Another band plays first, Crash and the Boys, and Wallace is like yelling at them from the balcony. <laughs> He's heckling them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they play like two songs, but the songs are like super. Sh- well, one of them's super short. And then the second song they start playing, and then the guitarist from Scott's band is, like, freaking out while they're playing. He's like, how are we supposed to compete with this? But, like, you can't hear him because the music's playing. So, like, giant subtitles. subtitles, (laughs) God damn it, Scott. Stop standing there. You're freaking me out. (laughs) Scott's, like, just staring at Ramona, who's sitting next to Knives. Yeah, and he's like, this is a nightmare. His little predicament here where, you know, the new girl doesn't know that he's technically dating this girl who doesn't know, like, he's been with this new girl. Yeah. So they're both freaking out for different reasons. Playing it's, this, uh, Mike, Michael Sarah's kind of role here of like, you're supposed to f- like feel for him. But he's kind of a dick. He's like an asshole. And he's fucking up, but he's so oblivious to like his scenario. Like here, he's an though. asshole, but he's like ignorant to it because he's yeah. such a fucking idiot. Yeah. And so you're supposed to empathize with him at some level. And you kind of do. Like, you do. You do. Because you kind of remember being in scenarios like that. Or like, I don't know, like maybe you got so excited doing a thing, you forgot another... I don't know. Like, I'm like not saying like I did just aren't straight. Yeah, I'm not saying like I literally yeah. did this exact thing. I'm just no. saying like you remember being dumb and irresponsible around that age. Yeah, and that's kind of a theme that goes on throughout the movie. Like he obviously treats his 
girlfriend's not so great. Yeah, it's he doesn't hard. really treat his yeah. friends that great. But uh, Matthew Patel's fight, his entrance is amazing. There's a big crash <laughs> word that pops yeah. up. Everybody freaks out for like a second. <laughs> it's so funny how how much of this they're treating like normal because. This is, this is a weird universe where, like, everyone's totally fine. That yeah. There's, like, a video game yeah. premise. And Wallace just yells, them. fight! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it is, like, Tekken style, or, like, Mortal Kombat, where, like, you know, they set up the fight. There's, like, a cutaway. There's an intro. Yeah. And then a big versus and a fight. Yeah. The intro fighting. to, like, every fight in this movie is amazing. Yeah. The setup really to each fight is so good. During this fight, <laughs> Matthew, he shoots a fireball and kills the other band. <laughs> he like disintegrates <laughs> and you're like no one cares because it's like it's not real you know what i mean it's like a video game yeah. where you die it doesn't matter like you just go yeah. somewhere else yeah and like after the fight the judge is just like uh i guess sex with bombs win yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's a thing called lampshading or yeah like i think it's what it's called lampshading or like dropping a lampshade have you ever heard of that in writing I, i've heard it i don't know what it is so basically if you have a a ridiculous thing that you're doing or something that may jeopardize the viewers or the reader's suspension of disbelief. This thing you can do is called like hanging a lampshade or lampshading is when you have a character in the story also pointed out. If you openly point it out, then like how ridiculous it is. Yes. How okay. ridiculous it is. Then the people in the story are with you, the viewer, like they're like, this is ridiculous. Therefore you're like, Oh, Okay. It's realistic now. So is that what uh, Scott's sister is here? Yes. Because she's the only one that's like, what the fuck is she going keeps, on? She looks so confused. She's like, what the fuck is happening? And everyone else is just treating it as if it's <laughs> Exactly. And you're, she's kind of your, your little surrogate here because you're like, this is stupid. But because in the thing, they're like, this is stupid. Now you're like, oh, I believe it. Yeah. You know? Now that'll only get you so far, obviously. <laughs> but it is a technique that you that It could you also can be use. used for comedic purposes as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Especially when it's uh, kind of a funny, lighthearted thing yeah. like this. The fighting in this movie is actually pretty good. It's incredible. It... And that's the other ridiculous aspect is that all of these are just like trained martial artists. Yeah. Right? Scott Pilgrim is getting attacked by a flying Indian man. <laughs> and he immediately knows how to fight back. And he is fighting like, it looks like a Kung Fu Hong Kong film. Yeah. You know, it's incredible. I and mean, it's perfectly normal. He's like, what's going on? Ba, 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 ba. Yeah. In slow motion, he's just like, what did I do? Because <laughs> he is confused at first, but he gets to fighting pretty quickly. Yeah. What I was saying about the cutaway, so they cut away to like a fully animated scene, right? Like a comic book. Like a comic panel. Yeah, exactly. That style is the specific style of Scott Pilgrim, the comic book. Yeah, where it's like kind of like small, cutesy looking characters with like yeah, big, big eyes. eyes. Yeah, I'm going to link it below so you can see. That's an interesting kind of a uh, little little reference to Almost that. like anime or manga inspired? Not the realistic anime. It's called, there's no, a it's word like for chibi? it. Yes. Yeah. Where they're all like tiny, cute, cartoony characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, a, very much inspired by yeah, that. Yeah, it's a cutaway gag in a lot of manga and anime. Yeah. I would have liked Dragon Ball a lot more if it was this lighthearted. Also, if the action was this good. That too. But that's what we said last time with Dragon Ball, or specifically what I said, is that like I feel like Dragon Ball is unadaptable because of you, how you can't make it silly. No. You can't and people won't take it seriously. And it's not supposed to be taken seriously because Dragon it is Ball, silly. Dragon Ball the anime is super silly. 
Does it work in live action? It would work if you did it like this and no other way. I think. So only Edgar Wright can make a dragon. Yeah, movie. basically. <laughs> if it was like this lighthearted and this fun, then it would work. With right. great action, then it would work. Maybe that was our connecting thread here. Is that this is what Dragon Ball should have been. Yeah. So Ramona explains that she has seven evil exes that Scott will have to fight if they want to date. But Scott only hears that they're dating now. And that's the only thing he focuses on. So we're dating? So he wasn't listening. Uh, He comes home to Wallace suddenly in the style of a Seinfeld episode with bass guitar, music, and a laugh track. Is it the exact theme from Seinfeld? No. Okay. It's made to sound like it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's like a laugh track and he breaks into his house like Kramer. Oh, yeah. He just barges in. (laughs) Barges in, yeah. He's like, guess who hit first base yesterday? He goes, well... It's like maybe... Second, first and a half or something. First and a half, yeah, something like that. And you get the little laugh track. Yeah. And, and that is a bit of a handbrake turn, because there's no more of that. No. It's just a gag. <laughs> yeah. But again, this movie's already established that we can do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's perfectly and fine. And I didn't question it. I no, was I like, that's I, funny. I thought this I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Wallace forces him to break up with Knives, who is heartbroken. So right at this moment, too, there's a really good cut. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where as he leaves the apartment, because Wallace kicks him out, because he's like, you have to break up with knives because, you know, you're telling me about how you went to first and a half base or whatever. So (laughs) what are you like? What are you going to do now? As he leaves, Wallace is watching TV and it's like a preview for the next character we're about to meet, um, who's a movie star. His next movie. Lucas Lee. Yeah. And he's like this action movie guy. And he's doing a movie where he's in a phone booth. Probably based on the movie Phone Booth with Colin Farrell. <laughs> um, it's like, all right, punk, you're going to hear two clicks. The first one's going to be me hanging up. The second one's going to be me pulling the trigger. <laughs> and then it cuts from that trailer of him in the phone booth. It cuts to the same exact shot, but it's but Scott's Scott in, in, a, phone in a phone booth. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's what he does in a lot, of, a lot of his shots where he's in one place. Now he's in a different place having the same conversation like we said or they're mirroring shots from one scene to another scene as and it's kind a of good a, transition as a transition exactly yeah. mostly for fun what were you gonna say oh uh, i was saying like this is also the part where like doesn't he call knives and knives is like right in front of him mm-hmm. she like scares him and shit she's like are you in the phone booth <laughs> wearing yeah. like a He's jacket like, and a hoodie yeah and why are you psychic yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's just like good like little lines like that like why are you psychic scott and ramona have an unsurprisingly awkward date at his house overly self-conscious about his horrible self-cut shaggy hair they go to the movie set where lucas lee is filming his new action movie ramona was unaware he'd be there and reveals that they dated in the ninth grade being an evil ex lucas starts the fight against scott but leaves his stunt team to fight him scott makes quick work of the stunt team and then goads lucas into doing a super gnarly skateboard grind down a huge snowy rail he grinds too fast into an explosion-y demise. This entire sequence is really good. I mean, you can say that about this whole fucking I know, movie, man. But it's so fucking it's funny. It's very funny. And it's like super like self-aware with like the yeah. stuntmen and stuff. Those are Chris Evans' actual stuntmen. <laughs> are they actually? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he has that many, but at least a couple of them are like his the real The first stuntmen. one like looked like him. Exactly. Yeah. That's like his main stuntman, I think, for most of his movies. <laughs> And, like, the shot of him, he's like, I'm nothing without my stunt team. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Evans is fantastic in this. He's just playing, like, this elevated version of himself, you know? Yeah. I love how, like, 
Wallace is there like as a fan, but like he has no qualms with him dying. He's just like, yeah, oh, whatever. Yeah, like, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how they treat everyone dying in this. Like, there's yeah. no mourning because it's a video game, basically. Yeah, they explode into coins. They explode into coins. You collect the coins, Sonic style, and they'll probably reset to a different location, right? Like, they respawn. Yeah. So, when the fight starts, Scott's just like, he's famous and he's talking to me. He, like, punches him. He's like, can I have your autograph? Can I have your autograph? <laughs> he's, like, starstruck for, like, a second while he's getting beat up. Yeah. Chris Evans plays the role, like, amazingly. But, For, like, I mean, the small part it, of this movie it, he was in. Because Chris Evans is a funny guy. He so is. It, it's he gets cast in a lot of, like, serious roles. I wish he was in more but, movies that allowed him to be yeah, funny. Yeah, when he does stuff like this, he is amazing at it. Yeah. Even Fantastic Four, which is, like, not a great movie. No, but he's, like, the goofy Johnny Storm. Johnny Storm, I mean, he, that's basically who he is, right? Yeah. That is basically Chris Evans. Finally realizing that he must defeat seven evil exes and oblivious of all previous warnings, Scott goes to a coffee shop where he runs into both Ramona and Envy, his ex-girlfriend who broke his heart. Envy, the lead singer of a very popular band, invites Sex bob to open a secret concert for them. There, Envy's band starts playing and Scott points out that the bassist is Todd, the man Envy left him for, but Ramona recognizes him as one of her exes. Knives is there dating Scott's friend, trying to make him jealous. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's young just, Neil, young Neil. <laughs> um, so Envy, the ex-girlfriend's a character that they had kind of like mentioned earlier. It's like, yeah. it's like the previous girlfriend, the one that broke his heart, the one that he's been miserable over. Yeah, played by Brie Larson, and he does tell Ramona earlier in the movie that like she left me for a friend, and that's the basis. It's Todd. It's Todd, played by Brandon Ralph. <laughs> who just happens to be one of Ramona's exes. Yep. So super small world, yeah, but that's like, kind that, of the point of the that's movie. That's Todd, and she goes, I know. He's like, you know? <laughs> oh, no. And Todd's like just like staring at Scott while he's playing, too. He's just like... Yeah. <laughs> Brandon Routh's funny as fuck. Brandon Routh is great. Brie Larson is great. The song she plays is a great song. Is it I... actually her singing? Yes, that's her singing. Okay. She's a good singer. She was actually... Trying to make a singing career first, a music career before doing the, uh, before acting or some, like at the same time. Oh, okay. She was trying to be like a pop girl. Gotcha. And she's got a good voice. Didn't take off, but I mean, her acting did. So that's whatever. But yeah. yeah, she can sing. Yeah, but that's the song that always gets stuck in my head. I, I actually have that song Bum. on my Spotify playlist. It's a good one. Um, and we'll get into it. It's written by, uh, a real band, and it's a whole thing. Oh, cool. Envy invites them all to her dressing room, where they all exchange tense, passive-aggressive pleasantries. Todd inexplicably punches knives, which anchors Scott. I honestly don't remember why he punched her. Uh, she jumps up while Envy's talking. She goes, I kissed the lips that kissed yours. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then Todd just stands up and punches <laughs> he her. decks her. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's terrible, but it's also really funny. He punches the highlights out of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That she put in to look like Ramona. Ramona, yeah. Scott attacks him, but is stopped by Todd's psychic powers. Todd throws him through the brick wall and reveals he's a vegan and therefore has unlocked his hidden potential and is just better than everyone. <laughs> Scott tricks Todd into drinking tea with half and half, and the vegan police show up to de-vegan power Todd. <laughs> Scott headbutts Todd, who explodes into quarters. Yeah, my God, it's so good. It's so fucking funny. I honestly, like, 
was cracking up laughing when the like vegan police showed up. <laughs> There's the vegan police. There's the when he's like trying to make a joke about like um tell that to the cleaning lady on Monday. Yeah, because you'll be dust. And I was like, what? She takes weekends. She off. takes weekends off, and the cleaning lady she she dusts. She'll <laughs> work on Monday. So Monday, right? <laughs> That's good. There's also a part. It's a joke for grammar nerds, right? Because Todd said something that's grammatically incorrect. And Scott corrects him. But it's also grammatically incorrect. And he's like, don't talk to me about grammar. <laughs> and, and just angers them and they start fighting. Yeah. But it's it's, a, it's like a small joke that you really have to be listening yeah. for. To... And then um, after Scott starts getting beat up, his band is like, hey, Scott, we're going to go to Pizza Pizza. Which is a Canadian brand that we saw in the hockey game being advertised pizza pizza oh my god you're right yeah, yeah that's a real thing he's like scott we're gonna be at pizza pizza catch you later they just don't care <laughs> this is just boring to them yeah. he just got knocked through another brick and wall he punched the highlights out of her hair <laughs> i just want to point out too that um so todd has like blonde highlights like his blonde dyed hair mm-hmm. and when he uses his psychic powers his eyes glow white and like wind is blowing his hair up he looks super saiyan he looks super saiyan more super saiyan than anything in the dragon ball movie that's what i'm saying i'm like this movie's already doing dragon ball better than they ever could (laughs) and and they have like a cool little base battle they do yeah they do fight with bases because they're both the base players in their respective bands yeah all the vegan talk was just so funny no vegan diet no vegan powers (laughs) And they talk about, like, his past offenses. You're like, he knowingly ingested yeah. gelato. He's like, gelato isn't vegan? Milk and eggs, Milk bitch. <laughs> the, oh, so the vegan police guy that comes up, that's Thomas Jane. The Punisher? That's the Punisher, Holy yeah. <laughs> you didn't recognize him? I didn't. That's the Punisher. Yes. Oh There's a lot God. of superheroes in this, which is, I think, in part intentional, because Brandon Routh was already he was, already yeah, he was already Superman. He was not the Adam yet. No, no, no. But Thomas Jane was already Punisher. Yeah. And this is kind of like a superhero-y, video game-y kind of movie. It makes sense to cast these guys even in small roles like that, right? Oh, yeah. and Chris Evans was already... Human Torch. Human Torch. Not Captain America yet. No, this was... A... 2010. This was a year before Captain yeah. America. He might have already been casted as Captain America or auditioning, but he wasn't. the movie wasn't The movie out, wasn't you know? out yet, and I'm not sure if we knew he was Captain America yet. I don't know. That's a good question. But also, there's after the, they depower him and uh, Scott like headbutts him and blows him up. You see in the background like the vegan police. They're like they're running and they jump and high five each other in slow motion. They're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's funny. Insecure about Ramona's exes, Scott argues with her about her past and breakups. Anytime that Scott says ex-boyfriends, she corrects him by saying exes. Scott asks. Why do you keep saying that? Just when he's attacked by Roxy, the third ex, who's a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Ramona intervenes and fights Roxy instead with a giant hammer she pulled out of her purse. Roxy is fighting back with a studded belt whip. Not wanting to hit a girl, but also not having a choice, Ramona holds Scott's fist to fight her. And Roxy is played by Mae Whitman, who voices Katara in Avatar. Yeah. Plays Anne and in Arrested, Arrested Development, Development, who was who's... Michael Sarah's girlfriend. Yeah, recurring <laughs> girlfriend in that show. And... A lot of great little connections yeah. like that. And she she's pretty funny. She's really good in this. Also, she has an incredible voice. You can see why she's a voice yeah. actor right here. Because when she's playing Anne, she's very kind of like muted. 
and quiet. It's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, they're always surprised by Anne because she's always standing somewhere. No one sees her. They turn a corner and Anne's there. And they're like, like, how long have you been there? <laughs> Such a good show. And Roxy does attack Scott like earlier in the movie, but he had no idea what the fuck that was. Yeah. So he he's actually punched her before. So he has right. punched a girl. Right. There's a really good argument here about them. Well, that they're having about like their insecurities. Yeah. Because he's like, okay, wait a second. Like, you've got all these exes. I'm supposed to fight them. Yeah, like, he's, he's like, have you dated anyone who isn't an asshole? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, well, you're the nicest guy I've ever dated. And instead of taking that like a compliment, he's like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, what does that say about me? And we're going to get into the themes of this movie, but this is... Insecurity spoilers. is definitely one of them. It's Well, this is all an allegory for like you know, dating and especially at this specific age and seeing relationships as like you would as an adolescence rather than like an adult yeah. and being immature in, in an early relationship Instead and focusing grown up about it. Yeah. And like vilifying like the exes, like they're like your enemies when they don't give a shit probably about you. No. Like, and your current person is probably with you for you having nothing to do with your exes. So we're going to get into all that yeah. stuff, but here is a lot of really good, kind of, you know, obviously you kind of have to skim through the argument, but it, it's some really good stuff here Yeah, that they're arguing about. After they have this fight with Roxy, it just kind of escalates because after the fight, Scott and Ramona argue about their exes some more, with Scott asking if there's anyone at this party she hasn't slept with. Yeah, not a good, not a good <laughs> move. Yeah. <laughs> she leaves, accusing him of just being her another evil ex waiting to happen. She left him a laminated list of all her exes, the next being the Katayanagi twins, and their next band in the Battle of the Bands, both of whom she dated simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriately, both bands will play simultaneously. The band's battle, quite literally, and the sound of sex bomb, takes physical shape to fight the twins' two dragons. The twins explode, and this time Scott is awarded a one-up. All right, so obviously a lot of shit going on here, but... Uh, yeah. This battle, though, is one of my favorites, like, visually. It's fun, yeah. So they've got, you know, they've got this giant hall with stages on opposite ends, and they're supposed to play at the same time. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. But that's how they're going to decide, you know, who the victor of the Battle of the Bands is, right? Yeah. But then the Katayanagi twins, their music starts taking physical shape into, like, two, like... like twin dragons? Twin dragons, Yeah. And then, luckily, Sex Bob-omb starts playing so well that theirs takes shape into, like, a giant ape. Yeah. And like they a, start fighting. Yeah. Like a kind of a Donkey it's really, Kong it's really, And guy. that's where you get the verses, and then the fight yeah. starts. And we also get to hear, like, a, a new song from Sex bob here. Almost the whole song. Like, they play, like, an actual song Oh, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I like this one. I think it's called Threshold. Okay. I kind of want to get the um, soundtrack. Yeah. Like, I think the full songs are on it, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I know that they recorded it. Um, I know that, and we're going to talk about it, but um, Brie Larson's song is recorded with and without Brie Larson. Oh, so there's a recording with her singing and one without? One with, like, the actual band singing. Oh, okay. Like, the, the lead singer of the band. Okay. She apparently dated a pair of twins yeah. together. <laughs> we don't really get any backstory on that one, though. It's the only one that she doesn't provide backstory with, and it's the one that I'm like, maybe needs the most backstory? But I think I'm, that's why I'm they left curious. it out. Yeah. yeah. I kind of think that's why he left it out. Like, everything yeah. is, is for a reason in this film. And the only backstory we get is that they dated at the same time. Yeah. And I think that's the joke. Yeah. And Neil finds <laughs> that really funny. <laughs> Sorry. Young Neil. Young Neil. <laughs> they learn that the last ex, Gideon, is the music producer they've been trying to impress. 
Scott apologizes to Ramona and professes his lesbians, he means love, to her. She, however, breaks up with him wanting to be with Gideon, who she says she can't control herself around. Gideon signs the sex bubbles to a record deal without Scott. And Gideon clearly doesn't care about the band because he just goes, oh yeah, sex bobs. <laughs> he doesn't even say like their whole name or anything. He's clearly just trying to get under Scott's skin. Yeah. Oh, he's played by Jason Schwartzman. He's played by Jason oh, okay. Schwartzman. Scott seeks solace with both his sister and Wallace, who kicks him out because he's planning on having lots of sex with a new guy. <laughs> Gideon calls Scott to invite him to the Chaos Theater, where Gideon is the ultimate evil boss, sitting on a throne with Ramona as a pet. Scott challenges him to fight because he loves Ramona and earns the power of love, increased video game stats, and a flaming sword. <laughs> he fights off the bouncers, and Knife shows up to attack Ramona. The two pairs fight. Gideon's a little racist here, too. <laughs> oh, he calls, uh, wait, he calls Knives uh, Kung Pao Chicken. That's pretty funny. Which is terrible. Yeah, I know. That's horrible. It's funny, though. But the way, but he, del- the way he delivers the line is funny. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're all fighting. All these people are just yeah. amazing at and, martial and arts. And Scott admits to cheating on them here, but he doesn't really seem... Uh, oh, not yet. I'm about to get to that. Sorry about it here? Well, he doesn't yeah, seem yeah. sorry about it here. Um, I love that they get to this club, and you've got a lot of the people from before. Like, the guy we were talking about from New Girl is there, and he's just talking about, like, the first album was way better. Just the random bullshit you hear people talk about when they want yeah. to sound pretentious about music. <laughs> first album was the best one. This one's not as good. The sex of bombs don't really seem happy playing there. They've got fancy, fresh outfits because they just sold out. Yeah. Um, and Neil is like now the bassist. Yep. <laughs> Young and, Neil. And then, uh, Kim is like, we are sex of bomb and we're here to sell out and make money and stuff. Make money. One, and two, stuff. three, four. <laughs> yeah. She's uh, that's the drummer. Yeah. We didn't mention. Scott breaks up the fight between Ramona and Knives to confess that there was a crossover between their relationships, and the two women are upset that he cheated. Just then, he's stabbed by Gideon with his own flaming sword. In a dreamlike afterlife, Scott talks to Ramona, who explains her relationship with Gideon, and that she has no control over herself around Gideon because she has a literal mind-control chip implanted on her neck. So (laughs) That is evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) When you think about it, though, it's just a metaphor for an abusive, manipulating, over-controlling boyfriend. Yeah. It's what that is. It's, you know, people in in those kinds of relationships, they feel like... They're being mind-controlled, and they have no control because they're actually being manipulated, you know, psychologically. Yeah. Sometimes monetarily and in other ways, too. You were saying about... Oh, yeah. Scott breaks up the fight, and he admits that he was cheating, but he doesn't really seem... He doesn't seem to really see the the full error of his ways, because when Ramona says, like, you cheat on me, he's like, well, no, I cheated on her. And she's like, well, what's the difference? And he seems to feel like, you weren't wronged? No, he doesn't, because he's thinking about himself still. Yeah, he's he's selfish here. Yeah. He gets, like, the power of love because he says he loves Ramona, but it seems like more of, like, a selfish type of love at this point. Yeah, and he's bending the truth when he's talking to Knives and, and Ramona. Yeah. I dated you, and then I dated her. Eh, there might have been some... Uh... I mean, I wrote that he admitted that there was crossover, but I don't really think he does very much. I think they kind of imply it, Yeah, they infer it. Scott remembers he has a one-up and is revived to the point where he is entering the club and and gets to redo everything. This time, he stops to apologize to Kim, the drummer, for their failed relationship and announces he wants to not fight Gideon for Ramona, but for himself. This earns him the power of self-respect with bigger stats and a bigger flaming sword. He stops Nye's attack this time and apologizes for cheating up front. 
Gideon duels him with a 16-bit lightsaber, which made me think my stream was glitching. <laughs> and Scott teams up with knives to defeat Gideon. Afterwards, Gideon's ominous voice challenges Scott to defeat himself. An evil Nega Scott appears. So at this point, like it's a little bit rushed, but like you can tell that like Scott realizes that he was kind of shitty to everybody. Well, <laughs> that's that's part of the gag that like he's replaying this level. Yeah. And so he knows all the bits. He knows he, all the bits. Yeah. Yeah. He, he like he knows how to defeat everyone. Like early in the movie, he like goes in through like different levels of bouncers and he's like coming up with random like pa- passwords, passwords and stuff. Whatever. Which which is funny because one of them's whatever and the other one's. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so angsty like emo teen. Yeah. And the second time he's like, your, your hair, hair looks stupid. stupid. Kills him. Yeah. <laughs> Jumps. You know, it's just kind of like speed rushing yeah, through a level. Yeah, he's because you already played the level. Right. But like when it comes to like his character growth, like his character growth here is a little bit rushed too, but it is there. Like he realizes yeah. like, hey, I was shitty to... You know, my bandmates, I was shitty to Kim, who I had a bad relationship with, which I'm sure ended on worse terms than he led everyone else to believe. Right. To him, it's a joke, but, like, she clearly, like, does not like him. <laughs> right. And then, like, with Knives and Ramona, like, he he's like, hey, what I did was wrong. Like, he's learned a lesson here. Yeah. He, he had to die to do it, but, you know. I mean, that's kind of the, you know, it's, that's the uh, epic hero. Yeah. He has to literally fall, yeah. die, and then yeah, come and then back. He realizes, like, essentially, he realizes how shitty he was, and he's he tries to make up for it. And he realizes that he needs to do this for himself and not for others. Yeah. So that's why he got the power of self-respect. Self-respect, yeah. <laughs> it's also, this whole movie, he's treated relationships like status symbols. You know, like, he thinks less of himself after he was dumped. He is excited that he's just dating someone, even though everyone's like, well, that's a high schooler. And he's like, yeah, but it's it's a person. I'm dating them. You know, it's kind of all he really sees in Knives at first. Yeah. You could probably tell that he thought the same thing of Kim, the drummer. Because it's high school. And in high school, sometimes you just date for status. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or and just then, to, like, be dating. Or, yeah. So it's a very kind of selfish impulse. And so here, now that he's, like, quote, unquote, fallen in love with Ramona... The second time through now, he's like, I'm not fighting for Ramona. I'm fighting for myself. And he's thinking less of like relationships as like statuses and more like these are real interactions, real partnerships that you develop with another person, which is maybe why he now he's like, let me apologize to Kim, who I've never taken seriously. Yeah. And it was like a shitty situation that I probably put her through or whatever. So it is this kind of like maturing. And like I said, I, I think that's kind of the major themes of this movie or whatever, but. He's obviously much better with fighting this time after he gets the better sword. Exactly. And, <laughs> well, it's a metaphor. You it know is. what I it's mean? It's very metaphorical. Because now that you learn this, you you can use that as a tool to like yeah. fix the shit that you fucked up. Yeah. He's literally using the sword to like defeat these kind of uh these apparitions of like ex-boyfriends and all these kind of things that are in his way and he's fixing everything with his new sword, yeah. right? So And like even the band like is more excited to play after like he apologizes to them and oh, makes yeah, amends yeah. with them. Like they're they're playing like for him now. Yeah, exactly. And the music's a lot faster, more upbeat to kind of go with like the faster pace sure. of the scene too. But I love that at the end the Negat Scott appears. It's him, it's Michael Sarah, in yeah. shadow with big red eyes instead. Yeah. And it's such a video game trope. Yep. You know, it's Dark Link. There's like probably some other ones. Well, even in that DDR ninja game that they were playing, there was like the Nega Ninja. Oh, that's a good <laughs> foreshadowing. I didn't see that. Yeah. When Scott's like, man, I can never get past this guy. 
<laughs> oh, that's great. Fuck. Yeah. That's a great little bit because to he me. He can never get past himself. Exactly. The metaphor here is that the main villain to all of this is yourself. It's not the evil exes because like I said earlier, it doesn't matter. Like exes in a relationship do not affect you. They do not affect your relationship with this person. You are starting fresh. Yeah. And so what really the real enemy is yourself. You're the one getting in your own way. And at the very end, you're going to have to overcome mm. those things. And so it's very appropriate that he has to fight himself last. But it all happens off screen. <laughs> Outside, <laughs> which is just funny. It's a gag. Outside, Scott and Nega Scott emerge as friends, agreeing to get brunch later. Yeah, they're just chatting. <laughs> God. Ramona leaves Scott and Knives saying she needs to figure herself out. And Knives encourages Scott to go after her. Scott asks Ramona to try again. So really great stuff because... For a minute, you can see that Scott now kind of sees something in Knives. But when before, he didn't really think much of her. He sees her as a person now. Yeah. yeah. And he, now he's starting to see, like, maybe the things he wasn't seeing before. Because, again, it's not a status symbol anymore. Just like, oh, it's not, I, I have someone. I'm dating somebody. But I like this part, too, because Ramona is like, I don't know if she's feeling jealous a little bit. Like, oh, you guys fought really well together back there. Which is... The part about the DDR that I caught on to is that they were very much in sync when they were playing DDR together. And so when they fought together, him and Knives, it was the they're same fighting thing. together. Well, yeah, they well. were like beating the shit out of Gideon, but they were yeah. like in sync with their kicks and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But Ramona is obviously going through her own shit and she feels like she's got to do it that on her own. And Scott's like, yeah, sure. And Knives is like, you've been fighting this whole time for her. Go get her. You can probably make this work. Right. And as a married man here... <laughs> I can tell you, I think this is the part where in a relationship, you need to learn to combat difficulties together. Yeah. It's not your own battle to fight. Right. When you have a problem, you you guys are a team, you're partners, and you kind of have to do it together. Even if it's, it seems like it'd be easier to do it on your own. Even if it's like, it seems like it's your own problem. That's what relationships are, especially marriage. You know, yeah, you're in it together. Absolutely. And so... I like that he goes after her and she's like, yeah, let's do this together, actually. Let's figure out whatever this is. Let's figure it out together as a team. And then they they walk in through that door that popped up, which is her apartment door, which is a gag that they had done earlier, too. Yeah. That her door just kind of apparates out of nowhere. <laughs> I also like that he says Chow Knives, whose name is Knives Chow. That's a good joke. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think that's it. As far as block goes, yeah, because after this is just roll credits, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's the movie. So, analysis on Scott Pilgrim versus the world. There's a lot of stuff to talk about here. I think maybe it's best to start with themes. Yeah. You want to do? But we mentioned this earlier. But if you jumped around, you skipped a plot, and you're just getting here now, I kind of talked about how I think this movie is an allegory. If you don't know, if you weren't paying attention in English class... An allegory is a story that the whole thing is one giant metaphor. So like Chronicles of Narnia and the Bible. Exactly. Yeah. Chronicles of Narnia is a Christian allegory. And there's a bunch. Actually, there's a ton of Lord Christian Lord of the Rings allegories. has Lord a bit of it. sort of is. A little bit. Um, If you want to read it into that way. Yes. You know. Wasn't Tolkien like a Christian scholar? I think so. And I think he was friends with C.S. Lewis who wrote Narnia. Oh, actually. Yeah. No, they were. Yeah, they right. were like real good friends, right? Mm -hmm. They fought in a war together. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so this film, I think it's an allegory for relationships, it, specifically like the difference of how you see a new relationship from when you're like a teenager to when you become an adult. 
there's that transition there of like maturing, which is what we see Scott go through. Because again, I'm repeating stuff I said in the plot. The way he saw relationships at the beginning of the movie were kind of like a status symbols. You know, like he wants to be dating somebody so that he has the status of in a relationship. Yeah. Right. And so when he starts dating Knives, he's just like, you know, I've got a girlfriend now. So yeah. big deal. And then he's just like <laughs> kind of going through the motions, kind of neglecting her. He doesn't care about yeah. her. Like, that's not the point. There's multiple times where she's like, hey, remember you're supposed to meet me at the bus stop half an hour ago? And he's yeah. like, uh, yeah. Right. Really, he just, you know, he was dumped by somebody and right. he can't just be dumped forever. He has to kind of like prove to everyone, not really himself, just prove to everyone else, oh, I have a girlfriend. It doesn't matter that she's a high schooler, that she's five years younger than him. Yeah. You know, because he's supposed to be 22, she's 17. Exactly. That's all he cares about. And the way kind of he sees Kim, the drummer, is the same way. But with Ramona, it's kind of the first girl that he like actually really likes. That he just, he's kind of like infatuated with. He claims to have fallen in love. Right. And then the way he sees her ex-boyfriends as evil and people that he has to overcome and fight, you know, it it is a very immature way of thinking of a relationship. Yeah. When you start dating somebody and you're like concerned with their exes, like they matter, you know, like they have anything to do with your current relationship, but they don't. But that is a very high school way of thinking it because in high school, you are very likely to know those people. Yeah, it's a very small community of people. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. in this, this happens where Ramona's ex-boyfriend is dating uh, Scott's ex-boyfriend. And they're dating. His ex-boyfriend? Sorry. <laughs> His ex-girlfriend. <laughs> you know, they're all exes who are now dating. And it's like this really awkward situation. And yeah. shit like that happens in high school. Because everyone's dating each other. and Everybody, no everybody knows each other. It happens in workplaces, too. Sure. But he gets to learn by the end of the movie that really you're person that you're dating your relationship is a partner and that obviously he has to learn how to earn love and then earn self-respect as a result of that yeah and he gains that power that's what i'm saying yeah <laughs> that's what i'm saying like he gains those yeah. those abilities the movie outright tells you <laughs> yeah no it literally spells it on the yeah. screen and like i've seen people talk about this movie and like how it's like allegory and how like it could also be taken as like this entire movie is like scott's like fantasy almost like all the fantastical elements are just like him you know like he's thinking these things he's it's looking like really deep into it but to me you could but that kind of defeats the whole purpose i think because this is surrealism like we said earlier yeah it defeats the purpose of it if you try to explain it away if you try to make it like oh yeah this is all actually happening in his head yeah don't do that no like this is just a weird it makes it a lot less fun yeah exactly this is just a weird movie that's what it is if you can't buy into it then you shouldn't be watching it. I'm sorry. Like you're, <laughs> it's not for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we, we said that earlier on because we, we were talking about the suspension of disbelief. If in the first 20 minutes, like the first act, you're already like, um, I don't know if I buy into like the music and the video game thing and the clicks on screen. You're not going to like the, the movie. Then by the first fight, fight six <laughs> you, other You're out of here. Fights, yeah, get, get out. <laughs> this movie is already lost. You're going to so. hate it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> also, it's a lot about like how to look at your insecurities I said that, like, you know, well, your villains, your your exes aren't villains, yeah. you know? And there's a bit of a running gag to this movie, actually, with just, like, a little insecurity that Scott has about his hair. Like, every time someone yeah. gets, like, oh, your hair's getting a little shaggy, it's, like, a quick cut, and he's suddenly wearing a hat. Yeah, he's, he puts on a hat, yeah. <laughs> Which is funny, but it's also just, like, he clearly cares too much about what other people think. It telegraphs that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, the, the main problem here is that he's... He doesn't have that self-respect. Right. And he's so concerned about his outwardly appearance and what other people are saying about him. Mm-hmm. 
dating a new girl or or whatever. And Ramona even says she likes his hair like that. Yeah. Because she says like she says something about his hair, and all of a sudden he's wearing a hat. He's like, "What? Do I need a haircut? Like, is it shaggy?" She's like, "No, I, I like it." <laughs> she, well, I mean, it's horrible. But yeah, <laughs> it is interesting that um he did hasn't had like a salon haircut since he broke up with Envy or Envy dumped him, and then you know he's been kind of cutting himself for whatever reason, <laughs> and then towards the end, Knives is like, "I think you need a haircut. You should go to a salon." Yeah. But it's Ramona who's like, "Oh no, I like it like that." So yeah. it's a little bit of like he's making the right decision. Knives is not for him, right? Like, obviously, they have nothing in common. Yeah. Even though now he he's seeing a little bit more worth in her that he didn't see before because he's an idiot. Yeah, but they're uh, not um they're not compatible. No, but it's just another sign that him and Ramona might be. You yeah. know, and Knives and Young Neil might be compatible. <laughs> well, now he's just regular. Oh yeah, by the end of the movie, he's just Neil. <laughs> just Neil. Good stuff. <laughs> so, and we talked a lot about the uh, cinematography. Especially the edit, the cuts. What we didn't mention is that there is also a lot of like really interesting framing in a lot of the shots in the film. For example, there's the shot where the first battle of the bands when Ramona and Knives are both in the audience. And like you were saying, Scott's freaking out. Yeah. Or not Scott, the other guy's uh, freaking out. And yeah. Scott I is just staring. I can't remember his name. What's his name? They, they say it like only twice. Yeah. But He's the, the guitarist. The yeah. Like the, the main guy. So... He's just staring at Ramona and at Knives sitting next to each other. And then they cut away to the same thing from Ramona and because they're up on a balcony, like their point of view, looking at the band. If you look in the corner, you just see Scott's face just like (laughs) blankly staring up at them. Like out from behind the curtain. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Really funny, clever framing like that. And and that is just littered throughout the whole film and stuff like this. Yeah. We talked about a lot about these cuts. How he cuts from one scene to another very in very interesting ways, breaking reality in a, most of them. You know, the part where he calls his sister working at the coffee shop. Yeah. Right? And she's like, well, I'm about to get off. And he's like, oh, I'll be right there. And he leaves the phone booth. And, and immediately he, walks in. One door turns into the other door. Yeah. Like, he's now in the coffee shop. But his sister isn't there. He turns around. She's already outside the building. She's like, sorry, I had to go. And she runs away. So <laughs> and Aubrey you, Plaza. <laughs> Aubrey Plaza took her next shift. <laughs> so if you read that literally, then it's impossible. Like, how did he get there? And then how did she just teleport right. away? But that's not the point. The point is, he's telling a story and he's using kind of this. It's like he hung out the phone. Then he went to the coffee shop. Because that's, that's all you need to know. Yeah. Right. The, but the way that it's cut is super interesting. Yeah. It makes... Because it it's like he literally walks out of the phone booth and into the coffee shop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you see that throughout this whole film. And just like we said earlier, little things like when someone hits a, a light switch and it just says click. Mm-hmm. Or when you meet a new character, there's like a little like dialogue box yeah, underneath. Like, like a bio for them. Yeah, a little bio. Exactly. With just a thing you need to know. Like this person's 22 years old. A lot of the dialogue in this movie is really good too, like little like snippets of dialogue between characters. A lot of it feels like real conversations that they're having. Like Ramona asks uh, Knives how her and Scott met, and Knives starts telling the story. She's like, "Oh, well, me and my mom were on the bus," and then she kind of trails off. And Ramona's like, "Was that the whole story?" <laughs> just like little things like that are just they're funny. Well, it's legitimately funny. Yeah, this film, or like Wallace being a dick. <laughs> So the music in this is obviously pretty good. Yeah. As far as like a like a regular like film soundtrack, even a movie that has like songs in it, mm-hmm. it's kind of excels, well, like, right? Sex Bob sounds like 
a band that you would hear like practicing in a garage. Yeah. So every band in this movie, the songs are written by a different band in real life. Okay. And the thinking was, usually when you have a movie, you have one composer and they do everything. They have to do their best to, if they were making... To uh, capture different like... Right. If they were making something like this, it would have to capture different sounds, right? Because it's different bands. doable, but... Sure. But they thought to like really solidify that, we need to get different bands. So it doesn't sound like the same person is writing for all these different bands or whatever. So Beck wrote all the music for Sex Bombs. I haven't heard that name in a long time. Yeah, Beck, right? I remember, I want to say it was like Windows 98. It was like the first one I had like Windows Media Player. And there was a Beck song just on it by default. That's funny. Like included. (laughs) He wrote all the music for Sex Bombs. And he did it in two days because he specifically wanted it to sound raw and not overworked. It did sound raw, because it needs but to sound like, like in the best way. Right, because it needs to sound like these are kids in a garage doing it. Yeah. Like, it can't sound like it's polished and made by a professional, right? Yeah. And so he wanted it to sound like a no. demo. It even, yeah, it sounds like it's, like, not edited, too. Like yeah, it just, yeah, right. You just hear, like, it's, like, very bassy, like, almost too loud at some points. Or it makes it sound real. They had, like, a guitar coach, because mm-hmm. they wanted the actors to be playing the guitars. They didn't want it to be like they're faking it and then they they record it over with like a different like studio guitar. I mean, they did do that probably. Right. But at the same time, they wanted it to be believable. So they had a good guitar coach who like taught all these people who held the guitar how to play guitar. <laughs> Michael Sarah is actually a bassist in like real life. He's a musician. Oh, okay. by the way, he, he actually has like toured. He, with he actually got to uh, use his talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, Edgar Wright said like it wasn't really important because that's not why we got him. It's just kind of right. nice that he it's could cool. Do that. It's cool that he has yeah. the knowledge. Same with some of like these singers. Like it's nice that Brie Larson could sing yeah. for that song, but they were very willing to like coach someone into doing it. Right. So metrics emily haynes wrote the music for mv's band That's clash the of the band, demon hands and the name of that song is black sheep yep yeah but I, it's not a band i had heard of okay i don't know they're they're also so there's there's like actual musical talent behind this movie yeah yeah so they did um her band and then that's why oh, apparently on the soundtrack there's a version of the song with emily haynes playing and then there's a version of the song with mv because it is technically their song. It is their song. It, they wrote it. Yeah. yeah. And they, they were also performing it before the movie came out. Oh, okay. Like on tour and stuff. Unknown to people that this was a new song from the upcoming movie. Gotcha. But also like MV is the character of Brie Larson's. Mm-hmm. MV is like based on this person, Emily Haynes from Metric. Okay. That's interesting, I thought. Cool. Do you have anything else on this movie? Um honestly like you if we could break it down for hours but i just feel like oh yeah like all the references and all that like you could break those down forever it's it's a thing where you kind of have to watch it honestly like you can't we're not doing it justice by sitting here and talking about like exactly the things that he's doing yeah um it's a movie that if i if you wanted to you could like do a commentary for and you could be like here's what i think about this part this part because Mm -hmm. at any given point in this movie there's a million things happening on screen yeah like it's almost uh, overwhelming a little bit we were just saying while we were on break you were like i could watch it again <laughs> like yeah. I, we watched this movie today yep and there's always like more little just little details to catch yeah that being said like if this is going to be your first time watching a movie don't just try to look for references and stuff like that because then the movie might feel a little shallow like just watch the movie for what it is the first time and then on rewatches go and try and catch all those 
any references they might throw into like video games or whatever. Because it's not yeah. a video game movie, you know? It... <sighs> so it's not a movie based on a video game? No. But I would absolutely call this a video game movie. It's adopted of... It video... captures the spirit of it. I mean, to me, this is a literal adaptation of a comic book playing with video game tropes. And the tropes are definitely there. You know what I'm saying? I think that's yeah. what this is. Because it does... It's based on a comic, and they just put the comic on screen. But even within the comic, it's a video game kind of premise. Yeah. You know? There's a really good... It's almost like a like those arcade beat em up games where you're just kind of like walking down, punching shit. And then when you get to like the X's, it's like a... It's like a Tekken. Like, like a Tekken Mortal yeah. Kombat, like actual fighting game. Sure, yeah. But you can say that the narrative is like a Zelda game <laughs> where he's going on an adventure and yeah. he's have to unlock. I mean, they use the music. They have to like unlock <laughs> certain things and gain certain attributes and weapons before you can beat the bosses. And there's many right. bosses and puzzles. And maybe talking to him is just a big puzzle that you solve in Zelda. Maybe that's what this is all about. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because there are other movies about video games in general. You can look at like Mario. No, no, that's a movie that's... about Mario. It's not a movie about video games. Oh, you I'm mean talking like about, about like I'm talking about like Ready games. Player One. Okay, or, um, that movie's okay. What's the other one called? The Disney one, Wreck It Ralph. That's those are movies about video yeah, games. Yeah, you know Wreck It Ralph saying? is great. I by think the way. this might it is very good, but I think this might be like the best one when you consider like movies about video games. This hits all the video game. Because it, it's a video game premise. It's all the buttons. <laughs> God, that was terrible. <laughs> Cut that. It moves all. <laughs> don't be. It moves all the joysticks. Hits all the buttons. <laughs> uh, okay, I can agree with that. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if you have anything else on overall this film and the analysis. I mean, I'm sure I on. do, but nothing I can think it's, of it's, right it's, now. Yeah, it's, it's what I said earlier. It's like, too much. It's overkill. Yeah there's, yeah, there's a lot to really kind of pick like, apart do, here. Do, do you want me to sit here for another two hours and talk about the movie? Because I don't think anybody really wants that yeah, right we've now. We've been streaming for almost five hours. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to Keeper Cancel. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So for this Keeper Cancel, we've got... Are you ready? We're gonna. This is a lightning round, by the way. Yeah, this is our, a lot this, of interesting people in this movie. This is our second ever lightning round because we've got Edgar Wright, Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kieran Culkin. That's his name. Yeah. Chris Evans. Brie Larson, Anna Kendrick, Allison Pill, Aubrey Plaza, Brandon <laughs> Routh, Jason Schwartzman, Mae Whitman, Satya Baba, Bill Hader, Thomas Jane. Bill Hader was in here? Yes. Who was he? He was a narrator. That was Bill Hader? That was Bill Hader. Fuck. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we're going to do lightning round. That means we're just going to like shotgun all these people. Let's start off the top. Edgar Wright, writer and director of this movie. A true auteur, I think. Do you know what an auteur is? An artist? Super pretentious term. <laughs> uh, an auteur is like the highest level. I mean, it's not an official thing. It's just like what people call someone like of a filmmaking artist. It sounds French. It is French. Is that why it's pretentious? Yeah, that's why it's pretentious. <laughs> uh, but an auteur is someone who doesn't just like direct films as if it was just like a job. It's someone who, who makes films very personally and has... A lot of control. So Chris Nolan. Over, yes. Over the <laughs> entire project as a whole. Maybe they use reoccurring themes. Maybe they link all their movies together in some sort of like big way. So you think of like your Tarantino's, your Chris Nolan's, Stanley Kubrick. So basically somebody that could never make a Marvel Studios movie. 
I'm trying to think because Marvel's had a couple good directors, but they have to like tame them in, you know, right? Which reel them in a bit. Edgar Wright obviously isn't yes. the type that wants yeah. that, and so that's, that's why we didn't get his Ant Man. Yeah. So what we're alluding to is that Edgar Wright was pushing for Ant Man for a very long time, over a decade. Yep. So around the time that the MCU was getting started, right? I think even before, maybe even before. Yeah. And his ideas were workshopped on and off and on and off that it was delayed over and over again. By the time they make they start making the movie, they eventually just let him go. Because if you look through his films, like we said, it is too stylistic and reality breaking in, in parts. And when you're making a movie that's supposed to be set in like a larger universe with a ton of other movies, yeah, they do have to share a certain look and feel. Yeah. If he was just doing like a one-off movie, I'm sure everything would have been fine. Yeah. But the MCU taking off like it did obviously changed some plans exactly now there is some of his bits still in that film and the one that i'm i'm sure is his is uh when they have michael pena's character do his little bit that seems like an edgar wright thing. it's such an edgar wright thing where he's telling a story really fast and you see each character in the story saying what he's saying yeah just (laughs) lip syncing what he's saying Outside, that is such an Edgar Wright bit. You know that's his. You get Stanley going, yeah, crazy, stupid, fine. Crazy, stupid, fine. (laughs) (laughs) So most famous for what they call the Cornetto trilogy, which is Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and uh, The World's End. The World's End. Yes. Okay. He made Scott Pilgrim, this movie, between two of those films. Uh, It actually was a bit of a break. So like we knew there was always going to be a Cornetto trilogy. And right. the world's end didn't come out until 2013 when Hot Fuzz was 2007 and Charlotte Dead was 2004. All fantastic movies, especially Charlotte Dead. I think it's my favorite of those three. You haven't seen The World's End, you said, right? No, that's the one. Hot Fuzz? That's the one of the trilogy I haven't. I've seen Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is good. I like Hot Fuzz. I think I like Shaun of the Dead better. Me too. Yeah. I like I love yeah. Hot Fuzz is really good and they are radically different. They're all starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Nick Frost. Thank yeah. you. And I think they're all like written by the trio. Probably. Um, I think I think the three of them all kind of write those movies together. I showed those movies, not all of them. I think I showed just Hot Fuzz to Sable, and she hated Hot it. Hot Fuzz is hard to get people into. My wife was, like, disgusted with that film. I'm like, this film's hilarious. Like, I was laughing my ass off. I think it's hysterical. And she just could not be more displeased. <laughs> and she refuses to watch Shaun of the Dead for that reason. Which even though is a better it's movie. so good. A, I think Shaun of the Dead's a better movie. It's so good. And that then, scene with the queen on the jukebox. They're beating up the zombies in sync oh, with yeah, Don't yeah, Stop yeah, Me yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Let's just go back to the pub, grab a pint, wait for this oh, all to blow over. Blow over. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> Baby Driver. Baby Driver was kind of his newer movie uh, from 2017. I haven't seen that Fantastic. one either. Is that more of like an action flick? Yes. Okay. And on the scale of like, you know, surreal, like this being his most surreal movie mm-hmm. to a little bit more grounded. I think Baby Driver's on the opposite end of the spectrum to this. Okay. Um, It's only kind of like overly Edgar Wright elements are a lot of the action matches up with the music that they're playing. Which is just cool. It's awesome. Yeah. And it, it's a very musically driven mu- Doesn't movie. Doesn't like he like put music in? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's a clever way of doing it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Because he has like a problem in his ears and he has like a ringing noise that drives him crazy. Tinnitus? Yeah. But like permanently. <laughs> oh. Uh, so he has to like listen to music to kind of drown it out. And so when he drives, he listens to, he listens to music all the time. Okay. Uh, it's a great movie. 
we need to watch that. And then he has two movies in 2021. Well, one's a documentary, but he's directing it, so I guess that's important. <laughs> <laughs> he did That'd The Adventures of Tintin? Oh, he wrote he it. He wrote. And then Last Night in Soho is his upcoming film. Uh, the trailer just came out like two weeks ago, starring Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk about her whenever we get to New Mutants. She's in that? Yeah. Oh, wow. I love her in um, she plays, uh, Queen's Gambit. She plays uh, Magic. Fantastic. So that trailer looked really interesting. So I'm very excited for that movie. So um, we could talk about Edgar Wright for a long time because I really like him. He's definitely got style. <sighs> Just like Dumbledore. Just, yeah. <laughs> Oozing style. So <laughs> super mega keep for Edgar Wright. I'm sorry that he couldn't finish Ant-Man, but I'm also like, I get it. You know, I, I get I it get too, it. and I think he gets it. <laughs> I think that's why he stepped down. I don't know. He seems pretty upset about it. Well, that was like his passion project. Yeah. Okay. You said keep. Yeah, okay. definitely keep him. Okay. Yeah. All right. Michael Sarah, child actor. Bet you didn't know this. He was in Berenstein Bears, the TV show. He played Brother Bear. <laughs> I did not know. Okay, so I guess I grew up right. with Michael Sarah. <laughs> did you watch that show? I did. I don't know if I ever watched I it. I read the books, too. I read a book, and I played a video game. And that's... Was it like one of those point-and-click games on the computer? No, it was on, like, uh, Sega or Super Nintendo. Oh, so it was like a game game. It was a game. It was like a platformer. Oh, wow. You know how, like, everything had a platformer back then? Yeah. I played Berenstain Bears, and I thought it was a pretty fun game. It was probably horrible. I thought it was fun. It was probably bad. It's probably a bit bad. But yeah, he played Brother Bear. I didn't know <laughs> Just that. like two seasons, like huh. something like that. But uh, breakout role in Arrested Development as George Michael. And this was while he was still a kid. He was like a teenager. Yeah. yeah. It was like, so, what, 2003, 4? We talked about this fantastic show. Uh, seasons 1 through 3 are incredible. Season 4, eh. there's two versions of it, eh, and I haven't watched season 5. I haven't watched season five yet either, but I am currently rewatching the show. So, oh really? Yeah, so funny. Super bad. That's kind of his breakout role. Came out the same as yeah. Came out the same year as Juno. It's also his breakout. Those things combined, right? Two was... very different movies. Oh yeah, but super bad. I don't think it's aged that well, but at the time, it was just this huge hit. Yeah, it's. No, I mean, it was just one of those like teen comedies that was like bordering into like adult comedy. Yeah. Like, a lot of those movies are coming out around that time. I'd like to watch it again, but I feel like I'm not going to find certain parts as funny as I did when I was 18, which is how old I was when that movie came out. Like, it was just my yeah. age perfectly. Like, those kids are graduating high school and going to college. That movie came out when I was a freshman in college. Oh, I was, so in I was like, like, middle school. I was all about it. <laughs> uh, some other stuff. This is the end. A couple of episodes of Drunk History. Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist molly's game where i got no time to go into it but he plays toby mcguire look it up huh he plays to molly's game is like is about uh it's about a poker game that happened in real life i feel like and, we've talked about this before. yeah and it's written it's based on a book that's written about toby mcguire being a shitty uh just a shitty person and a shitty poker player wow well he's a great poker player but he's a shitty person just and he's horrible and Michael Sarah plays a slightly fictionalized version, fictional version of him. Wow. So okay. look, look it up, but that's the implication that that uh, I know is. he's also in, uh, for like a second at least, is This is the End. He's him and a bunch of comedians yeah, in no, that yeah, movie no, for like a second. I said it. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, you shot. said it so fast. Lightning round. We got a shotgun uh. through this. He's an actual musician and a bassist. Uh, he's actually played with, ah, oh, fuck, I forgot the band. He played with like a real band. Oh. He toured with them. Nice. I thought he did something bad. 
I feel like I heard that somewhere before too. I couldn't find it like, though. I thought he like yelled at somebody or I he googled. was like a dick or something. I googled it. I couldn't find anything. Huh. So I don't know. I guess maybe he didn't do anything bad. I just whatever. I don't know. He seems to fly really under the radar, which is good. Like it's what I would in do. Hollywood. That's good. Yeah. Well, if, I was, if I was a celebrity, hiding I, would, I would just keep everyone out of my face. Yeah. Uh, he's obviously typecasted, but that's okay. So yeah, that's all, right. all I got. All right. I thought he did something bad too, but if he didn't, all right, let's keep him. Am I confusing him with someone else? I feel like he did something super bad. I super bad. <laughs> okay, keep moving on. Mary Elizabeth Winstead played John McClane's daughter in *Live Free or Die Hard*. Is that *Die Hard* four? I, don't, I know. don't know. I've only seen the first. Two. I haven't seen any of them. I don't care. Wow. Um, she sort of was a scream queen at first, so that means she did a lot of horror movies. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, that um, was a little bit more recent. A little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. *Gemini Man*. That came out recently. Birds of Prey. That came out very mm. recently. Ooh, she was the villain in Sky High, the Disney movie about the superhero school. Which, oh. Which is not a bad movie. God, you and your Disney movies. You're like up to date on all of them. I, I've i seen a lot of Disney movies. I have a lot of siblings that were younger than me. All fair. So even if it was like past my time, I probably still saw it. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the actress who... I hear a lot about, and every time I hear about her, I have no idea who she is. I have, pff, I hear know. about her a lot too, and I'm like, wait, who's who's that? Like, I need to see a face. And, then and when like, I see oh, her, I'm like, her, yeah, that one. Like, she's always familiar, but I'm not familiar with her work. Sure, yeah. So, like, I was surprised when I looked her up, and I was like, that is the girl from Birds of Prey. She's one of the three Birds of Prey. She's the uh, yeah, huntress. She's, yep. So, and then she was in the the TV show Fargo. Which is a a running Not thing. Like a western? Um, no. No. Fargo. Fargo something else. I'm Fargo the about... TV show is based on Fargo the movie. The what Coen am I? Th- I think I'm thinking about something It's like set different. in like North Dakota. Yeah. That's or South Dakota. Clearly it's one of the Dakotas. The western I was thinking about. I think you're thinking Midwestern. It's a bunch of Midwestern people going, don't you know? Oh. Yeah. Apparently the TV show is really good. Um, I haven't seen it though. Huh. Uh, Kieran Culkin. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winsett. Keep... Oh, I'm keeping her. Yeah. Uh, Kieran Culkin. I, I think it's Kieran. Kieran, Kieran, probably Kieran. Kieran, Kieran Culkin. Culkin. It's Macaulay Culkin's little brother. He was in Home Alone. He played like we were talking about earlier. He plays a little brother in Home Alone who looks just like him. I need I, to see it again. I keep thinking about the the cousin. He has also like a younger cousin who's always. I keep like, thinking about the cousin that pees him. that pees all the time. Maybe yeah. Wears and the like, glasses and yeah, was and drinking like, the Pepsi. Yes. Yeah, that's just, who I keep thinking and about. Hates what's Kevin? Kevin. Yeah, he just fucking hates Kevin McAllister. But no. He has a younger brother who looks just like him, and it's played by his real-life younger brother. Okay. He's also in She's All That. Didn't know that. I didn't, didn't know that either. Don't remember that at all. He was in The Cider House Rules. I think I saw that movie. Don't remember I anything. I have not. In it. Isn't Anakin Skywalker in that movie, Cider House Rules? No, I'm thinking The Virgin Suicides. Yeah, I don't think he was in that. Okay, cool. My bad. Also in the TV show Fargo. Along with Mary Elizabeth, Elizabeth Winston. And in, he had a big... Not big. He's It's an indie movie, but I mean, he like... Got some praise for it, or maybe an okay. award called Igby Goes Down. No well, idea. I am not familiar with his work. I did not know he was Macaulay's brother. He looks just I like know, him. But it's How like, watching this movie, you didn't go, is that Macaulay? Is that guy related to Macaulay? Well, book? when I watch the movie, I'm like, that guy looks familiar, and I don't know why. So, <laughs> But on, I I don't know anything about him, but I love his role in this movie. On Macaulay Culkin, real quick, I really respect that he made a shit ton of money as a kid mm. and was like, Cool, I don't need to work anymore. And fucking retired. <laughs> yeah. At like 13. Yeah, now he d- he just does like little small he things. He just does whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. And he'll I pop can... up on like YouTube channels and stuff yeah. just talking to people. Yes, and I can respect the hell out of that. That yeah. is, that's pretty cool. 
Also, yeah. he dated um, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis for a very long time. Yeah, good for uh-huh. him. <laughs> I forget who there was a YouTube interview with someone. Oh, it was um, what's his fucking face? Conan O'Brien. No, kind of a comedian. Russell Brand. Russell Brand. Thank you I so hate much. Russell Brand. You do. He's annoying. He is annoying, but he's also kind of funny at some times. <laughs> he's annoying his, as fuck. His stand-up is very hit or miss, but when it hits, it's good. Anyway, he was talking about his experience on um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, mm. and when he when he met like Mila Kunis, he's like trying to talk up Mila Kunis, and Mila Kunis is like, oh, my boyfriend's coming. He's like, ah, fuck, she's got a boyfriend. And Macaulay Culkin shows up, and he's like, he had no idea, and he's like, you're dating Macaulay Culkin? <laughs> How did I not like the home of the, the this guy Kevin McAllister? <laughs> okay, so keep I have I have nothing to yeah, not I have like nothing bad him. to say about him. I love this performance. Uh, he, this yeah, he's actually pretty good in this. Yeah, he might be a better actor than Macaulay Culkin, <laughs> who's <laughs> no, not he's, that good. He's probably been doing it longer. <laughs> Maybe he has to work for his money, right? Yeah. Chris Evans, not today, buddy. We're gonna see you again later. Brie Larson, are you ready? Yeah. This is a big name. Okay, so she tried her hand at some pop music early on. We kind of mentioned this. She was sort of like trying to be like a, one of the pop princesses. Like Britney you know? Spears. Yeah, one of them. Um... She was in 13 Going on 30. Didn't know that. She would have been one of one of like the 13-year-old friends, I'd imagine. Yeah. I don't know. She was in one of Sable's favorite movies, Sleepover, with Alexa Vega. Does Sable know that? Yeah. No, she's very well aware of that. Oh, we, okay. She, <laughs> It's just one of those movies that she saw as a kid. The likes of it so from Spy it. Kids? Yeah, that was like her solo flick, I guess. <laughs> it's it was, called Sleepover? It's called Sleepover, Is yeah. it good? No, it's oh. like a bad like preteen movie. Okay. And the villain is Brie Larson. <laughs> Whoa. She's like, the, she's like the bully. Maybe that's why Sable hates Brie Larson. <laughs> Maybe. It's like ingrained in her. 21 Jump Street, don't remember her in that. Uh, I feel like I, I'm picturing it a little bit, but... Brie Larson's like an actor who... I know now because of like her recent stuff. Yeah. I feel like she just like, like room. Recent, and... I mean, she's like my, she's a little bit older than me, I think, but I feel like she just recently, like, like in the last like 10 years looks differently. Cause I see even this movie, I'm like, she looks completely different. I feel. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah. She's I don't... also in like a lot of makeup and like maybe costume. So, like, I feel like I, I did not notice her in 21 jump street. She's in an episode of community. Don't remember. I remember. She's in the, in uh, she's in the movie called Don John. Uh, with, with Scarlett um, Johansson and no, Scarlett Johansson is not. Is she in that? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she's in that. And yeah, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Jason, yeah, yeah, yeah. With Gordon Levitt, yeah. I think Scarlett Johansson plays like an Italian. I think so. Yeah. She was in Room, so that's the movie where she won the Academy Award for Best Actress. And her career kind of really kicked Skyrocketed off. Skyrocketed after, yeah. after that. Yeah, that that was definitely a, a breakout. Kong Skull Island, Captain Marvel. A lot of people don't like her. <laughs> She's kind of widely hated. And it's kind yeah. of... You, <sighs> by men and women. By all kinds <laughs> of people. And it's kind of hard to tell why. But really, it's because she's very politically and socially outspoken. She, I think she, that's kind of... She says her mind and people don't like that. Yeah. And a lot of people do that also. But it's, it's one thing when... I don't know. For me, when I see people hating on Brie Larson, it's usually dudes. It's usually white dudes. <laughs> and I, I just feel like for those people, it's easier to hate on her being like socially and politically outspoken because she's a woman versus like when dudes do it. Right. You know what I mean? And not to say like she's the only girl out there, you know, just being outspoken, but she's just kind of this target now. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And there's no... Because she doesn't seem like a bad person or no, anything not at like all. that. And, and there's nothing wrong with being, like, outspoken. Yeah. A lot of people, like, hate on actors for, for being outspoken. For having, like, they're people. They're allowed to feel things. Yeah. And you, you know, people that hate on people that are outspoken. Not Brie Larson in general. I'm just talking about, like, people that hate on, like, outspoken celebrities. Oh, in general. They're the most outspoken fucking people in the world. They go on Twitter and Facebook and spew whatever bullshit they want to spew. So you're telling me... That if you become famous, you're just going to be suddenly quiet about it? No. No. Like, these people have a platform, and they want to make the most out of it. I completely yeah. understand that, even if it's something I don't agree with. Right. right? So It'd be different if Brie Larson was, like, spewing hate. She's not. <laughs> yeah. If she was, like, like a conspiracy theorist or, like, a QAnon or something like that. It'd be like a little that. bit different. It'd be a little bit different, but it's usually good stuff. No, she so. just she has her own opinions. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she's a good actor. I will admit Captain Marvel's not the best performance. I agree with that. And I, and I expected a little bit, just a little bit more out of an Academy Award winner. I'm not know. sure. I mean, that could also be just the direction she was given to, though. You can't totally blame the actor. Exactly. And we're going to have more of her to judge her off of. So there we go. I'm on keep for I'm, Brie Larson. I'll keep her, too. Even though she's that can be quite divisive. You just go on Reddit. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anna Kendrick. Most famous for Twilight, Up in the Air. Did you ever see that movie? I haven't seen Up in the Air. George Clooney. It was nominated for Best Picture at the same time as, the same year as Up, because they had expanded it to 10 for Best Picture. And so it was funny that there was both a movie called Up and a movie called Up in the Air. (laughs) Both nominated for Best Picture. Wow. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress in that she had a small role as like George Clooney's friend, coworker or something. Okay. I think she was like an intern for him or something like that. Great movie. Up in the air is about uh, George Clooney plays a guy whose uh, sole job is to fire people. Oh. And it's kind of like, what does that do to his, like, you know, psyche? <laughs> it's emotionally draining and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, that sounds interesting, actually. 50-50? She was the girlfriend? I've seen that. She was, like, was the, the psycho Gordon? girlfriend, right? Was no, she no, kinda, no. She's the main wasn't girlfriend. was she kind of nuts in that movie? No, because he breaks... No, there's a girlfriend who breaks up with him. That's not Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick is the new girl he starts dating. Uh, but once he gets cancer, his current girlfriend dumps him because okay. it's too much for her. Okay. I don't remember who plays that, but it's not it's not Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick plays I, do, the good, I remember the good her girl. in that movie, though. Yeah. Anna Kendrick's a good girl in that. Okay. Pitch Perfect. Those movies. That's those are like her she's, movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what she's you know very popular for. Drinking Buddies. You ever seen Drinking Buddies? No. Great movie. It's a very low budget movie. Uh, it's by, I forget what his name is. Uh, it's got the guy from New Girl. Uh, Nick Miller. Okay. Uh, I forget his name. It's got Olivia Wilde and then Anna Kendrick and then some other guy. Okay. Big cast. So it's a movie with a, yeah, it's very low budget. Pretty good. It's a movie made by a guy who, along with a couple other people, created like this genre called mumblecore, where basically like they don't have a script. They just kind of let the actors figure it out like on set for lack of better. It's a lot of improv, but it's also kind of like this. This very talky, kind of like self-evolving thing. And so okay. it's kind of experimental. It's this whole thing. Greta Gerwig? Greta Gerwig? Greta Gerwig. So she just won, like, I think, Best Director or Best Picture for a movie that is... You know what? We're, we're in lightning round. I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> but... um, And it's also... She's part of, like, this mumblecore movement. Okay. The Accountant. I didn't see that movie. I haven't where seen that ben, ben Affleck's like a murdering accountant. Cool. I don't know. He's like a superhero. <laughs> Who fucking... Ooh. Maybe we can add it to our list. <laughs> <laughs> trolls. I've seen uh, Trolls. Noelle. Did you see Noelle? 
I've not seen Noel. Disney Plus movie where she becomes Santa Claus. It's a Disney movie I've not seen. It's not bad. It's a little cheap looking, but it's not okay. bad. It's pretty good. Is it like Hallmark it, quality? It's, it's it's above Hallmark. Okay. It's heartwarming. Well, maybe I'll watch it. I liked it, honestly. All right. it's, it's funny. It's got um Billy Eichner in it, too. Okay. Okay, so keep for me. And a, and a yeah, Kendrick. no, I she's great. Always had a low-key crush on her, too. She's I, just so yeah. pretty. Okay. Allison Pill. Apparently, she's in everything. Her IMDb is humongous, and yet I've never seen, noticed her. I've seen her in a lot of things, but That's I couldn't Kim, tell you what I've seen Kim her Kim the drummer. Exactly. Yeah. And I looked through her fucking thing. And I'm like, well, she's in Hail Caesar. She's in Milk, Snowpiercer, Midnight in Paris. So a bunch of movies that I've seen, and yet still can't really recognize her. It's a weird thing. I'm like, I don't remember like, in those her? movies. Her? Her? <laughs> so, I don't know. Keep, I guess. Fuck. Who cares? Keep her. She's, she's cool. Aubrey Plaza. A lot of things here, too. Okay, so Parks and Rec, obviously. That's right. kind of her big role. Um, also, Funny People. I don't remember her in that movie. Safety Not Guaranteed. She did a Drunk History episode where she played Aaron Burr. That's it, funny. And it was about the duel with uh, Aaron Burr and um, Hamilton. Okay. But not because they did two episodes on, on Hamilton and Burr. Because they did another episode where it's Lin-Manuel Miranda's The Drunk One. And he's going through his version of Hamilton. Oh, and he uh, uh, he loved Hamilton. And that one... Oh, wait. I think that is the episode Is it with, the same episode? I'm trying to think because there's a couple Aaron Burrs. What's, no, I think that's the one. What season is it? I don't know. It's like three or something. Uh, I think that might be the one where Aubrey Plaza is playing the Aaron Burr as Lin-Manuel is drunk. Such a good episode. <laughs> Who is she in Monsters University? She's in Monsters University. I don't know. But there's someone else on this list that's also in Monsters University. Okay. Legion. You watch Legion, right? Uh, the show, yeah, 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 yeah. She's, yeah. In, it. she's in that, right? Yep. Okay, cool. and she she's amazing in it. Dirty Grandpa. Yeah. Uh, there's she did a movie with um Anna Kendrick called uh fucking I didn't write it down. It's like a really dumb, like uh comedy. Oh, Mike wedding and dates. Dave need wedding dates. Yeah, that one. I I've seen that movie. It I was, saw it. It, it was, was funny. It was dumb. <laughs> Ingrid goes west. You ever seen that movie? No. This movie is the film that has made me most uncomfortable out of any movie I've ever seen. Wow. It is so anxiety inducing. Oh my God. It's so she, Ingrid has like this, she plays Ingrid and she has like this really addictive personality to like social media influencers. Mm-hmm. She's like obsessed with them. So okay. she like stalks one. Oh boy. And it's played by, uh, the one she stalks is played by, um, Elizabeth Olsen. Oh, okay. yeah. Good cast. Good movie. But I hated it because of like how it made me feel. It just made me very uncomfortable. And that's kind of the point of the film is to make you uncomfortable. It's like cringy. Or no, uncomfortable it, and like a like uh like a uh, like this is kind of people getting obsessed with social media and like oh okay stalkers and oh watch it it's a good movie I just didn't like how it like, made me like, feel like creepy yes okay it's very creepy a child's play we watched we did new, we did watch it she she's plays the, the mom in the new child's play yep. did pretty good she's half Puerto Rican I didn't know that she talks about it a lot on on interviews I like when she goes in interviews because she's very she's very funny uh, and she's very dry. And yeah. you don't really know when where the fuck she's going <laughs> at any given time. But she's hilarious. So uh, keep. I fucking love her. She's keep. hilarious. Brandon Routh. Not today, buddy. We got you for Superman. Uh, Jason Schwartzman. You know this guy? I've seen his face. I've definitely seen him in a couple of these movies. He's a favorite collaborator of Wes Anderson. So uh, he put him in Rushmore, Darjeeling Limited, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, the Grand Grand Budapest Hotel. I remember I love from Dogs. Grand Budapest Hotel. I love Wes Anderson movies. They're like a guilty pleasure of mine. No, no, they're amazing movies. So they're just they're, good. They're just yeah. good. Fantastic Mr. Uh, Fox is very good. I love that movie. I feel movie. like that movie's underrated. Me too, because a lot of people hate it. <laughs> also, it has no business being like this 
kitty looking film because it is kind of like kitty in places but it's also mm-hmm. very dark in most places it yeah. just kind of like takes that genre and just puts it somewhere else you know mm-hmm. so i love i love all these movies wes anderson reminds me a lot of edgar wright or i could say the opposite of that edgar wright reminds me more of wes anderson just because they're very stylistic uh and they use their style to really kind of like accent the story that they're trying to tell you know Okay. Whereas Wes Anderson is very much into like cinematography and very like symmetrical shots and a lot of humor. It's very dry. He also does very kind of realism breaking things in his movies where like they're clearly on like this very cartoony set and they don't really pay any attention to it. Like real live actors. You know what I mean? So great in all those movies. Apparently he's also in Fargo, the TV show. There's a lot of people in Fargo. So we've got three already. Uh, (laughs) I Heart Huckabees and klaus the netflix santa did claus he movie voice... or i guess claus did no klaus vo- it's called klaus did he voice klaus he's the main character okay the douchebag mailman yes all right he plays a douchebag mailman that's a great movie great movie one of my favorite new christmas movies maybe we'll talk about it on our christmas episode this year or did we already <laughs> talk about klaus i don't think we did i have to look that up if we anyone put it on their list i think one of us did i don't know doesn't I'm matter sure. good movie he plays opposite um j jonah jameson fuck JJ, fuck, what's his real name? <laughs> J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Thank J. you. Jonah Jameson. This is all too similar. Omni Man. Yeah, uh, who plays Santa Claus in that movie? Okay. Um, keep. I fucking yeah, love keep Jason him. Schwartzman. Keep him. Like this cast is fucking amazing. This, this cast is amazing. I don't want to cancel any of these people. Mae Whitman. She's the president's daughter in Independence Day. I didn't know that. Me neither. You remember that girl? Yeah. Yeah. I should have watched Independence Day on July 4th. Damn it. Yeah. It's been a while. The sequel is We will not horrible. go quietly into the night. Independence Day is such a bad movie that's fucking awesome. It's you know so what I mean? It's fun to watch. It's so fucking fun. The sequel is horrendous. I, Does the sequel try to be too serious? I, I don't know. I stopped watching it. Oh. I stopped at 30 minutes and I damn rare are the times that I walk, put on a movie and I stop it because it's so bad. I'll sit through a whole movie, even if it's bad. That's why we do this whole goddamn podcast, right? right? I'll sit through the whole fucking movie and then decide for myself as a whole if it's good or bad. 30 minutes into Independence Day, the sequel, I forget what it's called. Resurgence, I think. No, I think it's called Resurgence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like edits in it that make no goddamn sense, and I'm completely lost. And I was like, "Is this an explosion? Where these aliens come from? What is going on?" And I just turned it off. It's it's that bad. She's in Arrested Development. We mentioned this as Anne, Michael Sarah's girlfriend. So it's kind of a funny thing casting her in yeah. this role, and they have to fight each other. And then a huge voice talent, obviously Avatar: The Last Airbender. She plays yeah. Katara. It's like Which a is, main character. Yeah, one one of the main characters from the beginning. I'm not sure if she plays Katara, old Katara. I don't think so. Probably not. Probably not. I don't know. Does she? She could. I'll have to know. look that up in Legend of Korra. Uh, she's also the voice of Tinkerbell in most modern Tinkerbell stuff. Also, all like those CG movies that came out. Everything after like, I guess, the Peter like, Pan. Probably the year 2000. <laughs> no, Peter Pan's like from the 50s. That's why. Oh, well, 60s. Yeah. yeah. So, she wasn't alive yet. Obviously. Um, <laughs> she's a little, probably a little bit older than me. But all the modern Tinkerbell stuff, she voiced. Okay. She also voiced Barbara Gordon in a lot of Batman things. Things that like aren't related. It's not like they were connected in the same universe. She just keeps on playing Barbara like she's Gordon. She's just the voice of Barbara Gordon most of the time. I, yeah. Like I don't, how uh, Mark Hamill was the Joker a lot. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Kevin Conroy was Batman. Right. April O'Neil. She played April O'Neil in a bunch oh. of other voices in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the CGI one, the 2012 series. Oh, that the one that's like super well received? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and a ton of like video games too. So a lot of voice acting, okay. uh, and we are huge Avatar fans. Yes, we love Katara, so super keep. She's great keeper. Satya Baba. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. Probably not. He played. Fuck, that is him. That is, sh- <laughs> and the only reason I'm putting him on here Holy is because he's Shivrang and New Girl, and I love New Girl. It's my favorite TV show. I think. Period. It's my favorite like sitcom. By far, wow. I mean, Shivrang's like this minor character, right? Yeah, but, he, <laughs> but he's he's, he's funny. A little story arc in there. <laughs> yeah, so he's the he plays a uh, the fucking what's his face? Um, Matthew, Matthew Patel. Patel. I did not know it was guy. him. Holy shit, that's he, great. He hasn't done a lot. He's also in Sense Eight. Never a, seen Sense Eight. It's a newer Netflix show. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, doesn't that, doesn't matter. I love him as just Shivrang from New Girl. Keep so him. Keep. Uh, and then Bill Hader. Bill Hader, oh, he's got quite the um... storied career already, and he's <laughs> not that old. He's not even like he's in his early forties, I think. <laughs> Super bad, like we said, he was in Super bad. Hot Rod, long time on SNL, like a Is long he still time on SNL. No, but he has reprised that one character on Weekend Update. Okay, I forget what his name is. Um, I don't remember either. He, but, yeah. he wears like he has like uh, he wears like a t-shirt and like uh, tattoo sleeves. I know exactly what you're talking about. I yeah, can't yeah. I don't name. remember his name. He has reprised that character several times since leaving SNL. Uh, <laughs> also wrote for SNL. Pineapple Express, Paul. He is the computer voice in Star Trek Into Darkness. Okay. He has done a ton of voice acting that I wasn't aware of until I saw his uh, like IMDb. Inside Out, I think you knew that. Yeah. He's the main guy in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which I forgot about. <laughs> he plays Alpha 5 in Power Rangers. Yes. <laughs> And he's fantastic in that. Fantastic as Alpha 5. He's in It, Chapter 2. Yes. Which is hilarious because he's a standout in that movie, I think. Also, he looks just like the kid. He does. From the first movie. The (laughs) casting in those two movies is impeccable. And I remember him doing an interview around the time of It, and he said, like, the director was having trouble with him because when he tried to act scared, when he gets scared, he, like, laughs. (laughs) So, like, he would, like, get scared and be like, ah, (laughs) Like, like a nervous laugh and like, well, don't do that. Nervous laughter. That's his thing. If you ever watch him in like interviews and stuff, he, he, he just le- does it a lot. He legitimately thinks everything's funny. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, he has problems like apparently like in Barry. I was going to get to Barry because he just thinks everything's funny. Um, and that's kind of a personal project. He produced, writes and stars in Barry on HBO. Have you seen that show? I've not. Watch it. It okay. is so good. Is that where he's like the assassin? Yep. Okay. He plays an assassin who doesn't really want to be an assassin anymore. But the thing is, he's just so goddamn good at it. <laughs> so he has to just keep doing it. But really, want, what he wants to do is act. He, he joins like an acting class, but he's horrible at that. But that's his passion, not murdering people. That's so weird. But he's amazing at murdering people. <laughs> it's very good. Apparently, when he pitched that to people, he was like, we're going to do this assassin. Everyone who he pitched it to is like, yeah, that's been done a million times. He's like, no, you don't understand. I'm the assassin. Everyone's like, oh, that's good. <laughs> like, he essentially is playing himself. <laughs> I always picture him as his character from Hot Rod with, like, the mullet and the visor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I fucking love Bill Hader. Like, mega keep. Yeah. And absolutely. We're going it. lightning round. I don't know. You have to. We're keep, moving fast. Keep. <laughs> and then last, Thomas Jane, we're not doing. Not today. Because we're going to see him again in Punisher. Yeah, along with John Travolta. Oh my god, John Travolta. <gasps> He's in that. I'm so excited to cancel John Travolta. <laughs> He's a piece of garbage. <laughs> so there's a bunch of people that we, we I'm looking forward to because we did not 
two that were in this movie. Chris Evans. Did uh, we not do Chris Evans for TMNT either? No. We we're okay. putting him off because we're going to see him a ton in uh, Fantastic Four. Brandon Routh, we're, we're going to see again. A few times. Thomas Jane. And who else did I save for later? That I guess it's just it. them. Yeah. At least from this movie. Yeah. God, what a cast. Yeah. What a cast. All right. So that's been Keeper Cancel. That was fun. Lightning round. Final thoughts into the Phantom Zone <laughs> or not? I am absolutely not putting us in the Phantom Zone. This, In fact, this is a movie that not enough people have seen this movie based on its uh, box office. Well, it's got a cold following, but you're still right. Like, yeah. You know, like, I, you talk to people that chances are they haven't seen. No, yeah. I don't think either of my roommates have seen this movie, for example. I think one of your roommates won't sit through it. No. Yeah, you're right. You're <laughs> I, right. I think my brother-in-law will not sit through no, this No, he'll movie. be like, this is ridiculous. This is. I think 10 minutes in, he's going to be like, this is stupid. <laughs> but it's not for him. Like we said, this is not for everybody. Yeah. You really have to have an open mind about what you're seeing yeah. on screen. And, oh, shit. <laughs> I just knocked my microphone. And recognize, like, what the art is here. Like, this is art. Yeah. You know. And it's very artistic art if that makes sense exactly but yeah no not in the phantom zone more people need to see this movie i love it those yeah. are my lightning round style thoughts i mean it doesn't have to be lightning round anymore yeah, those are my thoughts <laughs> <laughs> so cool i really like this movie a lot i was not a fan like i said like we i'd seen this before but i'm like i'm not watching it again i'm not having like rewatches. watches i've seen this literally one other time and i was like yeah it's fine but i am a fan of edgar wright's I have seen all his other movies multiple times. So this is kind of joined that and like I will rewatch this over again. Yeah. Uh, this is fantastic. Again, it is such a good allegory on like healthy relationships, making yep. your relationships healthy, how you should be treating them, maturing into adulthood, what that means for your love life. It's such making sure your insecurities don't leak into that relationship exactly. and potentially ruin it. Yeah, because like Ramona says, like we all have baggage. Mm-hmm. like hers is not any worse than his it's right. just that from his perspective he doesn't care about his baggage but he cares about ramona's because he sees hers as evil ex-boyfriends yeah evil exes <laughs> <laughs> so god like what a good theme here the style is one of a kind there's no movie like this period there are some movies that try to be like this in varying degrees, but there is no other Scott Pilgrim versus the world. No, this is a very unique film, yeah. which is sad that you know they didn't make any more. It's just a huge box office failure. Yeah, lost a ton of money. I mean, they put money obviously in the cast, in the music, and they have Beck. They have uh, they have uh, <laughs> they got Beck. The producer <laughs> of Radiohead is the composer, and he helped with a lot of them, obviously. With uh, some of the bands here, it's a very musically competent movie. Yeah, this is honestly a work of art by Edgar Wright. It's the most unabashed comic book on screen, I think. Yeah, and video game on screen. It does both simultaneously. Amazingly, like this is excellent. This is really an excellent film. Obviously, not in the Phantom Zone. If anything, this is the kind of movie why we should do this. Is this is what we? This is the movie we need to remind people of. Like. We say with some other films, hey, this is like a, a hidden gem. You might like it. Yeah. You know, but this is one where I'm like, no, this is actually. Th- this is actually a hidden gem. This is gem. actually an excellent film. This yes. is a very good movie that more people needed to watch. So I think that's it for me. Is, yeah. it, is that it? 
Is that it for you? I think that's it. I think that's it for us. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it. I think we covered it as best we can. Like, so this is a very dense movie. Yeah, like I feel like there's more I want to say, but I wouldn't know how to say it. And also, we can't sit here for like another three hours exactly. talking about it. We've been so. streaming for almost six, for five and a half hours, by the nice. way. Nice. Okay. We've done three different this things is our today. Stream yet? Yeah. So next week ish. Yeah, we next. Could, I mean, it's it'd be next week for you guys. It'd be next week for you guys. We're gonna record this in like three weeks from now. But <laughs> the next thing we do, Berto, what movie are we doing next? We are doing Steel. God, from 1997, <laughs> starring Shaquille O'Neal. Yep. <laughs> That's gonna be. Is that gonna be fun? I can't tell. I Hold don't on. know if it's gonna be fun or not. Let me see if it's streaming anywhere. Oh yeah, streaming on. We don't know yet. Streaming on HBO Max. Oh, oh! It's a DC movie. It is, but you know how HBO Max doesn't always have all the DC movies like up and ready to go. Yeah. So it is on HBO Max, guys. Watch Steel if you want, and then when we talk about it next week, you can be on board. So what if we like it? I don't think that's gonna happen. Actually, <laughs> we figured because we've got Space Jam coming out soon. The LeBron James movie that's a sequel to the Michael Jordan movie. And at the time, it was kind of like Michael Jordan doing a big movie, like a big blockbuster hit, was like inspiring other yeah. sports people to be in movies. Michael and Jordan filmed this during the season, too. He was still playing basketball. No, well, it was during the offseason. I thought he was still playing. Nope. Or maybe was, he should have. He was practicing still. He was practicing. Because yeah. he takes the game very, very seriously. So they filmed around, uh, they around built, his they, schedule. They built a gym for him in uh, okay. outside the movie. I, have you seen The Last Dance? Yeah. They talk about it in one episode. Where, how he, he would like. He didn't really rest while making this that movie. No, he was like practicing basketball all the time. He'd invite yeah. his friends over to like come play, but like other NBA stars to like just come to the WB <laughs> lot and play basketball. Just keep his skills sharp. So anyway, I feel like there's a correlation here because at the time they were like, "What other huge star wants to be in a movie?" Like, and Shaq was like, I'll, "Shaq's I'll, the other one." I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Shaquille O'Neal, he he did like I want to say like three or so movies in yeah, the 90s did, uh, Kazam Kazam and there, there might have been one or two other ones it's not called Shazam no and it did not have Sinbad in it no um <laughs> so anyway guys thank you for listening thanks for uh subscribing to whatever podcast thing you got thanks to that piano dude for our musical intro uh, make sure you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube if you listen to this on YouTube which brings me to my next point all these episodes are available on YouTube if that's a more easier way for you to listen to podcasts, you know, you're at work, you're on a computer, you can just pop open YouTube instead of uh, plugging in your phone or whatever. Open then, another tab. Yeah, you can just do it there, and there we are. That's at Films from the Phantom Zone. Um, we're also on Instagram at Films from the Phantom Zone, and we're on Twitter at Films from PZ. You can find us there. You can argue with us if we say something incredibly stupid or incorrect that we're gonna have to correct ourselves later. And you want the pleasure of correcting us and arguing with us? Go on Twitter. That's where you can do that. Yeah, I make mistakes all the time. We say really dumb stuff, and this is mostly opinionated. <laughs> yes. All don't it. take anything we say as fact. And you can just argue with us yeah. if, you, if you want. But when you are not arguing with us, please tell a friend. <laughs> yeah, tell and, your friends to argue with us. Exactly. And if you've told a friend, thank you so much for doing that because, hey, that's kind of how podcasts find their footing, yeah. right? It's tell a lot your of parents about us, too. Parents? Yeah. I mean, sure, whatever. 
Um, I'm sure there's some people whose parents are our age. Ew. Is that and weird they, to think and about? And the kids are listening to this? Yeah. Buddy, I don't know how old you think you are. But <laughs> I mean, I listened to lots of things when I was a kid. I watched lots of things when if, I was a kid. It's always a possibility. If you're 15 and your parents had you at 15, then they put them closer to our age. <laughs> if it's, you're in that very specific it's scenario. <laughs> possible. Anyway. Again, we say dumb things. <laughs> there we go. You can support the show on Patreon if you really like the show and you want to p- help pay for all this equipment that we use. All our episodes are recorded live on Twitch. In front of a live studio audience. In front of some people <laughs> on Twitch. So we do that on Monday nights. If you want to be a part of the show, if you want to contribute, if you want to ask questions, if you want to make comments to us, if you are yelling at us when we say stupid shit in your car, go on Twitch and you, we will actually listen to you. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that could be discourse that makes it into the episode. So that's a lot of fun. We have fun on Twitch. We have been streaming for five and a half hours today because we did multiple things today. So that's just how streaming works, right? Yeah. Berto actually ate a sandwich on camera. Yeah, so if you ever want to watch me eat. It was incredibly boring. I don't know why we did that. We had someone in the chat talking to we us. Were, so we're yeah, like, we were talking to our friend. <laughs> so that's a lot of fun, guys. We do that most Monday nights, usually around 930. Today we did it super early because we wanted to knock out a bunch of stuff before I go on a small vacation but other than that guys i've been arnaldo i've got birdo here next to me i'm still birdo he has not changed his name yet uh and we will see you guys next week with steel oh boy oh my god i'm so excited (laughs) bye bye guys